Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, NFL Draft Day 2 Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardis. Joined, as always, PFF connoisseur, rock star, legend, whatever the hell you want to call him, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, it's happy midnight. It's now actually Saturday. Long night, a lot of stuff going on. It was a hectic day one, but we're better people for it. Let's talk some ball, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, always. It's a, look, we, we got some landing spots today. Not as good, like, talent profiles went down a little bit, but, like... We got a few people that landed in spots that were like, "Oh, okay, like they they actually could have, have a good quarterback." So I'm excited. <laughs> we got a couple of those, man. But I will say once again, I feel like more picks than not. Like we're getting net negatives, kind of from a fantasy semblance of thing. Like I don't want to just be the you know negative Nelly in the group here, Dwayne. But man, some of the running back and wide receiver landing spots, especially the running back ones, man, I was hoping for a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I, I think overall. Across the whole class, like we were hoping for better spots, but you know this is how it goes. We we see this every few years. You know some some years we get more lucky than others. I think yesterday in round one, with just everybody pushing the receivers up the board, like the teams were at the end of the first round. They're like, well, screw it, we're not taking a receiver now. They just didn't force it, you know. So um, the dynamics of the way that the draft played out, like from kind of a macro level, um, obviously impacted things. But but we got a few goodies to get into tonight. And we did talk before the draft about there, you know, a quarterback, running back, tight end especially. Wide receiver, there are some more open spots. But quarterback, running back, tight end, if you just looked across the league, you know, before the draft even started, you weren't seeing, you know, the Najee Harris, the Kyle Pitts, the, uh, you know, even Justin Fields type of available roles out there for these guys to step into. Maybe that's why some of the value and prices attached to them, especially those quarterbacks, have been as depressed as they've been. So as we did yesterday, Dwayne and I are going to go through each and every quarterback, running back, wide receiver and tight end selected if you guys miss uh, the podcast you don't like what we're saying you turn us off whatever but you still want the information please go to pff.com we have as i'm showing on the shared screen our 2022 nfl draft tracker with fantasy football analysis for every skill position player pick courtesy of myself Dwayne, and the fantasy pros ranking expert nathan yonke himself so with all that in mind Dwayne, let's go back to what feels like days ago the first major <laughs> yeah. selection of the second round green bay packers selecting wide receiver Christian Watson. Now, going into the draft, we knew there was the Chiefs and there was the Green Bay Packers as the two top incoming landing spots for one of these wide receivers. But we also knew, barring a trade-up, that they weren't going to be getting one of the top five guys that did come to fruition with Christian Watson. So, man, we look at this Green Bay wide receiver room and not having MVS, not having Devontae Adams, there are two open spots. One of them seemingly filled by Sammy Watkins, but not the sort of contract that necessarily makes that a given. What are your expectations right now for Christian Watson, Dwayne? Because to me, he seems like much more of a replacement for Marquez Baldus-Scantling as opposed to Devontae, because who the hell can re- replace Devontae in the first place? And I'm just not so sure that really any of these wide receivers are necessarily going to be giving us the sort of boom that we're hoping for. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, I think anyone that says that they're just going to replace Devontae Adams, like they're, they're smoking crack. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't think we're breaking news there. But, I mean, still, I'm going to put my chip on Watson over Lazard. Um, just because of Lazard, I mean, he just hasn't ever shown it. You know? I mean, he's, his targets per route, 17%, 17%, 14%, yards per route run, 1.6, 1.19. Just, eh, you know, like, and he's been in the league long enough. You know, and he's had a chance to be Aaron Rodgers number two already. So yeah. my thought is I'd rather place a chip on a player like Christian Watson. We do, you know, he played in a smaller conference. He's an older guy coming out. So, I mean, I think there are definitely some things with his profile, 
you know, that we don't love, but we talked about it earlier, you know, whenever you're coming from a small program, a lot of times, a lot of times these guys are older because, you know, they're not really getting getting encouraged by agents or teams to come out early because teams don't know who they are. So we see this happen from time to time. And so Christian Watson, he'll be 23.3, which is going to be like, you know, he's, he's not in the same realm, right? As the Drake London's, the 21-1, the Jamison Williams will be 21. I thought you were going to go the other way and talk about the Bears' new uh, wide receiver. No, no, we're not going to, we're going to save that one. We're going to save that because we're going to have a freaking rant on the Bears. But anyway, um, so he's, he's older, but that's the main thing that people are upset with. But I mean, the early, you know, second round pick, the draft capital matters. You know, we put everything in. I know Ian, we have a supermodel. You know, that we like to talk <laughs> of to. Course. No, nobody else can talk to her, only you and me. But she models everything for us, and she still likes Christian Watson. Um, you know, number 34 pick overall. Dom, you know, the best, um, you know, dominator for Watson, 35%. Breakout age was 22.3. Again, a little bit later, you know, than some of these other guys. Kind of a red flag, but still 2.95 yards per route run is second best. That's for career. So that's for his career in college. And I know competition is lesser, so once you adjust it, like it's going to push him down a little bit. But still, that's really good. 26% targets, uh, explosive target rate. The average in the NCAA is 22%, so he's above the 75th percentile in that. So, I mean, he just has a lot of good things that score well, and he gets Aaron Rodgers. So, I mean, to me, early, early second-round pick, um, yeah, he's a little older, but there's enough things to like. I'm going to put a chip on him over Alan Lazard. And my, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what ADP does, you know, with him. But my guess is he'll settle in somewhere for redraft, like around round 11 or 12. What do you think? I think that's fair. And I think a common theme we're going to have with these second and third round wide receivers is exactly what you're saying. Like, we're going to put a chip on them over guys that we already know are pretty mediocre. Not hating on Lazard or MVS. You know, they were the clear cut number two, number three in Green Bay behind Devontae. But if you look at the last four years, I mean, Lazard's best finish in PPR scoring was the wide receiver 47. MVS never finished higher than the wide receiver 56. So from that standpoint, I do think we need to keep expectations in check. But we no longer have a top three producing wide receiver in Devontae Adams in the offense. What I think we're going to see out of Green Bay, Dwayne, is so interesting because we have the two-time reigning MVP there at quarterback, but I'm not sure if there's going to be a single wide receiver with an ADP in the top 36, top 48, maybe, man, like Watkins, Watson, and you would think Lazard are going to be in three wide receiver sets. Maybe we see Cobb, Amari Rogers getting involved and we see some rotational pieces. But usually like the sort of teams that don't have any wide receivers in the top 36 have a terrible quarterback and there's like so many parties involved that we can't figure it out. I think we can kind of reasonably expect Watson, again, Watson and Watkins to potentially rise to the top of this passing game. Uh, the question is what exactly you know price are we willing to pay for that? So I said boomer bust wide receiver five uh, to start and, you know, pulling up my a little bit outdated rankings, but it'll give us at least a, you know, decent kind of tier to look at where these new guys might be falling so like when we start seeing you know the tim patrick's of the world the dj charks the marquez baller scanlings themselves that's kind of the spot where i'm looking at with christian watson Dwayne, because even as someone who gets scared off from the notion of this wide receiver that wasn't all that great in college but he just tested like an absolute freak uh you still look at the situation and again it's all green so it's nice that i don't think we're gonna have to treat watson as this you know first round type of wide receiver like if the Packers had taken him at pick 19 instead of pick uh, 34, I feel like his, he'd be going like a round or two higher in fantasy land when in reality it's not making that much of a difference. So, boomer bust wide receiver five. I'm feeling better about it though, Dwayne, the more I think about his fit. Yeah, but I think that's still a fair mark. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be counting on Watson 
out of the gate as more than my wide receiver five. So I think you're right in what you're saying. And I think it is boom bust because we do know he's a more raw prospect. You and I are a little different on what we think about his college profile. Like he wasn't bad in profile. He, his, his production wasn't a bad profile. Like he, he did work out well and that really helped him, but he was also pretty good as far as like, he's not, he wasn't, as good as like Traylon Burks and some of these other guys, but like there's a lot of blue going across, you know, uh, across the screen for Christian Watson. So he's got some positives going. You know, I do think there's a chance that he doesn't start the season in three in you know two wide receiver sets. You know, I mean that could happen. So I think there is a, a potential bust kind of nature to him. Um, he's a player that I mean, obviously we're going to do it with all of them, but we'll be super tuned into what's going on with Watson in the summer. But again, like with Sammy, look, Sam, I love Sammy Watkins, man. And I, and I thought he was going to be a, a really great player. And I, I still like him, but I just, I feel like the door is wide open. I mean, Sammy hasn't been anything really since his second year in the NFL, as far as all this underlying, um, you know, type of efficiency stuff that we look at. Because it's not like we're just going to place rookies over everyone all the time. If, if a team has like a guy that's been buried on the depth chart, but has shown a lot, like in their opportunities, like we'll have a stronger conversation of them versus a rookie. Um, in this case, though, I just think we have a, a depth chart that's loaded with guys that haven't done anything. You know, it could very well happen in Green Bay, and what? And this could also bake into your, you know, um, you know, he could maybe not a bust, but people won't get in enough to start him. They could just spread it around across all these guys. We might not even have anybody get to 20% of the targets. Like, you know, it doesn't always have to be, well, one guy has to rise to the top. We've seen offenses in the past where nobody rises to the top. It's just really spread around, you know, across four or five players, and it's hard to predict who's going to get anything each week. But you do have Aaron Rodgers. That, there's no way to not grade that as a plus. Dwayne, you, your doorbell rings. You walk over there. You look <laughs> out. It's just a kind little Girl Scout sitting there. You're ready to buy some cookies. The AK comes out, all of a sudden she asks you, Christian Watson or Sammy Watkins, who's scoring more fantasy points in the year 2022? Christian Watson. There's just no point Probably to pick right. Sammy. There's just, I mean, if... The, the, thought, you know, hold on. the thought process would be that in terms of style, he, Sammy Watkins is not Devontae Adams. He never has been. He never will be. You could call Watkins probably the more plausible replacement for Adams in the offense and Watson for MVS. That's my only thought. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you could make, you could make that argument. You could make that argument. I, mean, I, I found a couple uh, of these already, so maybe 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 that's no, 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 no. I mean, I I get it. Look, I mean, I would love for Sammy Watkins to have a huge season. I just feel like I've seen enough. I'm just going to be like, yeah, give me Watson. <laughs> it's know? one of those things though, where what you know, Watson and Watkins, they're going to be wide receiver five sixes. So okay, if nothing happens, like like you said, we're going to burn an 11th, 12th round pick on someone that could take off as Aaron Rodgers' top wide receiver. A lot of a uh, lot of interesting questions to ask in this Packers passing game for sure. Did have our first running back go off the board. Pick 36, New York Jets selected. Running back, Brees Hall. I don't love this landing spot, Dwayne. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I guess I'm confident enough in what Michael Carter was able to do as a rookie to think that this is going to be a two-back committee. But the Jets, I will say, when we were listing the five, six, seven teams before the draft for the best landing spots, I think they were in there because, let's face it, Carter does have the fourth-round draft capital. It's just, I think, it goes back to my original statement where I guess nobody was going to necessarily have, you know, the Najee Harris role just open up for them this year. So from that standpoint, I don't hate it. The overall offensive upside is not great. But as we say, Dwayne, we don't like three-back committees, but we're also not getting workhorses that much in the year 2022. We can live with two-back committees. At worst, it does look like Brees Hall will be the 1A in a two-back committee with the Jets, and maybe he just takes the whole damn thing over. Yeah, and to your point, real quick on Carter, like, 
we both love him as a player. Like what he did, you know, to use an, to use one of your phrases, Ian, you know, he was borderline erotic when he did in the <laughs> receiving game last year. I mean, his 0.23 uh, targets per route run, his 1.48 yards per route run as a running back is freaking nuts. Like that's Alvin, that's nearly Alvin Kamara level, a little under Christian McCaffrey, but he definitely flashed really big in the receiving game. So I actually did the, the hall write up, you know, for our tracker and I, I felt, you know, pretty compelled at the bottom, like basically say, here's the best case and here's the worst case <laughs> for yeah. what you're going to get with Brees Hall. Best case, you know, he is an every he has an every down skill set and they let him use it and they kind of really make Brees, you know, more of the 60, 65% guy across all situations, short down and distance, um, early down, long down and distance, two minute offense, and they really just let Carter come in and spell him like every fourth drive. And then you end up with like the, the 65-35, 60-40 kind of split. A little better than what we saw with Javonta Williams mm-hmm. last year um, with Melvin Gordon. What you don't want to see, though, what would be bad is if the Jets are like, you know, and this is the this is the trapdoor floor, right? Yeah. Matt Waldman always uses that phrase. I just love it. It's like the trapdoor floor, like the thing nobody sees, and all of a sudden you're like, shit, I'm running back, you know, 35. Like, how'd that happen? Um, and I think it would be if they use Brees Hall on early downs and they say, Michael Carter, you know, you were a badass last year on passing downs. We're going to keep you in that role. Brees Hall, you're, you're our Jamal Williams, Michael Carter, you're DeAndre Swift. That's worst case. Yeah, and it was because the reason it would suck is the Jets are projected to win five and a half games. They're going to trial all the damn time. You're going to want the Swift role. <laughs> and that, and that yeah. point, at that point, Carter, you know, would probably have just as much value, you know, as Brees Hall. So I'm going to draft both of these players. Um, I know you have a really good question coming up. I was looking at it, you know, before trying to be like, where would I slot, you know, Brees Hall in this list that you're about to talk about? Let's but, ask it. So we have this yeah, list of all these rookie running backs. I took it the last five years. Rookie running backs, who has had the most touches? Four of them managed over 300. Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley, Kareem Hunt. My God, Hunt was so good in those Kansas City years. Leonard Fournette. We still had some other guys, you know, with a lot. Overall, we had, let's see, eight. 18 running backs, as I'm trying to dodge my camera, 18 running backs over 200 touches. Off first glance, Dwayne, Brees Hall, I would kind of put him in right around Josh Jacobs and Javante Williams. Maybe that's a little bit too enthusiastic about it. I don't think he has a 300 touch I don't think that's too enthusiastic. Side, that's right where I would put him. Okay. I, I think David Montgomery kind of is where it starts to top out. James Robinson had a very unique situation work out for him. Yeah. Um, but I think right in that range of where JT, David Montgomery, and that can still be good. And I think his floor is honestly probably down around, you know, that Antonio Gibson, Mark, Alvin Kamara, like around the 200. Mm-hmm. Like my guess is he's going to be between 200, 275, you know, somewhere right in that range, which is going to be really good. Um, it's just a matter of how how does he get you know, his snaps. If he can be out there in all the situations like we talked about and he can't be scripted out in bad games, I'm really going to, I think we'll like Brees Hall. Brees Hall his, or Aaron Jones? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Brees Hall Ooh. in that. Brees Hall or Nick Chubb? Man, I think I'm going to take Brees Hall just because of the receiving upside. Uh, again, we're, this is something we're going to track through the summer, but right now, if I had to do it today, I, I am taking Brees Hall. All right. Careful in a PPR, in a PPR. Yes. Standard, I will go Nick Chubb. How about that? <laughs> careful on this one because I know okay, our Cincy, fa- Cincy faithful likes to you know support their man and all, all credit to them for doing so. Brees Hall or Joe Mixon? No, I'll stick with Joe Mixon. Okay, all right. Yeah. So we're looking at legit upside RB2. Yeah. 
<laughs> too far. All right, I shouldn't have even put it out there. That's my bad. I apologize, Bengals Nation. Look at hey, my legit upside RB2. Mm-hmm. Good thing for Hall. Sorry. The landing spot as far as the running scheme is really good. Because, like, the more I dug into Brees Hall, there were actually some little red flags. Like, when he plays inside zone. Um, here, I'll just I'll share something. Here, yeah, I can pull only, it only, Did you put it in an article? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. It was, it, no, it's uh, your Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker one, right? No, no, okay. no, 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 I know it makes our video kind of bad or whatever, but they'll get over it because this, <laughs> this, this one is. Uh, okay, I'm switching it to so. you. There you go. Knock yourself out. Okay, hang on. We did see some things at Brees Hall. I mean, the tweet I was trying to reference was Dwayne basically took Kenneth Walker versus Brees Hall, rushing only, like Kenneth Walker was just crushing with every single concept, weren't quite seeing the same thing with Brees Hall. But to Dwayne's point, fit does matter. And it sounds like a lot of things the Jets want to do match exactly what Brees is doing. So Dwayne, walk us through this fancy-dancy chart you got. Yeah, so with Brees Hall, and and again, like we don't want to overweight things like the way a player fit in college because, I mean, they can grow. You know, these these guys come in the league, you know, they're asked to do different things. Some of them can do it, some of them can't. But we like, it's it's always better if we know that they've shown they can do it. And so whenever you look at the Jets, one of the main things they like to do is run outside zone. If you look at Brees Hall, like I was a little worried, like inside zone, like if you landed with a, a team like Philly, Um, or some of these other teams, you know, that have been linked to potentially looking at a running back, you know, his yards per, you know, so his his yards after contact, 2.1, missed tackles forced per rush attempt, 21%. Explosive rush plays, only 8%. But when you get him in outside zone, like that's really where he shines. So, you know, this area right here. So 4.1 yards after contact, missed tackles forced, 36%. And his explosive rush rate jumps from 8% up to 21%. Again, like you mentioned, still not He's not as good of a rusher just out, you know, outright as Kenneth Walker, but we've already talked about his passing profile. But then when you really, even whenever you look at him in power, like he wasn't quite as good, but he was okay. You just really wanted to avoid a team that was super heavy in this inside zone concept. And the great thing for him, where he landed with the Jets, actually, I think it's 39% of the time last year they ran outside zone. It was by far their number one rush concept. So it's a good landing spot for Hall. So he's going to he's gonna fit into a rushing scheme that's really modeled after Kyle Shanahan's you know, offense in San Francisco. He can really play well in that. And so he's going to have upside from that. And then it's just a matter of can he stay on the field at least for like 60 to 70% of the passing downs. If he does that, even in an offense that's not as good, like he's going to be a top 12 RB. And that's why, Dwayne, for months, you told the people, get ahead on it because this is where he's going to be ranked. Let's draft him closer to that than where he, you know, what, RB30 range? Or he was up in the 20s, I think, by the time we were drafting uh, closer to the draft. But yeah, these rookie running backs, once they get the landing spot, usually do tend to see them skyrocket. We'll see if that does hold true, though, with our next guy, Seattle Seahawks, pick 41, selected running back Kenneth Walker. Now, I was listening to PFF Draft Show, and they were really being nice to the Seahawks with every pick, except this one but the one thing they were saying about this one and I I know PFF you know you could get the best running back in the world uh, you know in round seven but if you pay him a dollar over the market value by the time the second contract comes around you'll think he's a piece of shit anyway with Kenneth (laughs) Kenneth Walker the one thing we brought up was that the guy's great to watch with the ball in his hands Dwayne you've been beating this drum you know for weeks now I think you know maybe after we're done here tonight you might just watch some Kenneth Walker film before going to bed I feel like it puts you in a peaceful mindset and I don't blame you Kenneth Walker film. (laughs) You know, it's just exactly what the doctor orders sometimes. I feel like this is arguably terrible, though. I mean, come on, man. 
Rashad Penny should have the first crack at this. Pete Carroll told us that. It's only a one-year, $5.75 million deal. I know injury-prone Twitter is going to be telling us that Penny's not even going to play more than the game anyway. We don't know what's going on with Chris Carson, though. Most recent report was from the Seattle Times. Bob Condado reported the Seahawks, quote, remain unclear if Wayne Carson will return from the neck injury. But I think the most problematic thing, Dwayne, is that with Walker... We saw the one issue, pass blocking, and we don't have a big history from catching passes. There were times last year where the Seahawks legitimately used each of Alex Collins, Travis Homer, Rashad Penny, and DJ Dallas in a single game together. So I wouldn't put it out of the question for even if, let's, let's say best case scenario, and I don't mean best case, but if Chris Carson is unable to play football again, now we would have Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker here. I think one of Homer or Dallas could legitimately still carve out another role and make this a three-back committee. And let's not forget, the offense is freaking terrible, man. So, Brees Hall, I hear you. I I think he has a great chance of taking over that Jets backfield. Worst case, though, his floor is so much higher than Walker's worst case. Walker's worst case is what happened to Rashad Penny when he's a you know highly drafted rookie and he doesn't play because the Seahawks just play the running back they feel like is better it's a lot of downside to walker and we just don't really have that ceiling for targets we're looking for yeah i mean technically rashad penny's going pick 84 right now before what happened today and Brees hall is dealing with a back that was going at pick 66 so i mean we could argue that Brees hall is actually facing a little tougher competition but we also know that Brees hall has been in every down back in college and so i think that's where it becomes challenging one what you just said we know that the Seahawks are very willing to use three backs, and it's not new. I remember the days due to freaking Chris Carson when he was a seventh-round pick, playing with Rashad Penny and Mike Davis also getting oh, on yeah. the field. Like so, right. this isn't—it's not new that we're seeing them use three backs. So I think it's very—it's plausible that we see three backs again. And if Chris Carson is healthy, it will probably be Kenneth Walker. It will be Chris Carson, and you can see Rashad Rashad Penny back in the day used to play the passing down role. Like so, I mean, they move these guys all around. And then whenever you tack on top of it, the fact that, you know, this is a team that ran in regulation, so excluding overtime, 55 plays a game last year. I mean, that's absurd. The, the Bills ran two more complete NFL games worth of plays than the freaking Seahawks. <laughs> Every you time know, we Sunday, talked on Sunday night to review the games, like this was the one stat that just week after week pissed you off. And I, don't I mean, play. think about that, really. <laughs> in fantasy, and it's a full season, but in fantasy, still, Josh Allen almost played two more games for your fantasy team than Russell Wilson got to play. Even if Russell Wilson had got to play the whole season. Right. (laughs) That's a lot, man. That's a freaking lot in fantasy football. So that's the killer. Um, And I don't think they can be that bad again. Ian. Like I'm thinking though, we projected them um, still as the worst team. We put them at 59 projected team plays. It's only one below what we we have the Jets at. But I know that our confidence in that one is probably a little shaky because I feel like we think – there's a chance Zach Wilson takes a step forward. The Jets get a little better. I don't think we have that sort of sentiment about the Seahawks. I think the sentiment is, wow, like how how far are they going to go down before they start to rebound? And I think, you know, there's a good chance that that won't be until they move on from their coach and they just make a lot of changes. Um, so, yeah, with Kenneth Walker, love, love, love the player. I'm still going to be the first running back I'm going to I'm going to draft right off the Seahawks. And I was I'll about to go- say, we got to go Walker over Penny. Yeah. We, you know, yeah, how I many times you, do we need to learn a lesson? Yeah. And I think you go, we'll see where he settles in. But my guess is, this is just a guess. Eighth, ninth round in redraft is where he'll go. Penny's going in the eighth round right now. So my guess is that Walker, Walker will move into Penny's spot. Penny will probably fall down to like round 12. And so if you still like Penny, like in the 12th, 13th round, that's fine. You can still take a stab on him. 
Um, and Carson's free. Like Carson's free right now. So, I mean, if if you are a believer in, well, I think he's going to be a committee, I'll just take the last one, well, then Carson's your player. And and the cool thing about him is if you completely whiff on it, it won't matter. You're going to be taking him, you know, if actually if you're not playing in a deep league, he's not going to be drafted, period. Like he's just going to be a free agent. We'll learn more as the season gets close. But like right now, if you're drafting in like an FFPC draft, a 20-round best ball slim, like you're getting in like round, you're probably going to get him around 20 now. Like he was already going in round 16, 17. Let's talk about where exactly we're kind of looking at ranking them because I was more pest. You know, sometimes I think we, I, I see a spot or a new, a new location. I'm like, okay, RB three, but then you start actually going yeah. running back by running back. And it's like, actually he's, you know, a little better off maybe than I was giving him credit for. And I'm kind of seeing that now to an extent, like Dave Montgomery, JK Dobbins and grain starters. We know that they're, you know, good football players and what they can bring to the table. I'm taking those guys over Kenneth Walker. But once we get this next range, Dwayne, guys like Devin Singletary, Michael Carter, Josh Jacobs, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Miles Sanders, Cordero Patterson, Kareem Hunt. That's, I think, the range that Kenneth Walker fits in. So if you want to put him yeah. in your top 24, I think you can squeeze him in there at the end, probably feeling a little safer if you can get him a couple picks after High that. High-end RB3. High-end RB3 is There we go. Where he deserves to be. If you're going to take him as your RB two, and look, we've talked about this, and we'll come back and revisit that, you know, draft, actual fantasy draft strategy here in a few weeks. But if you look at, you know, taking him as your RB two, you're you need to be in a position where in that range of the draft, you're going to take like two or three of these guys, right? You're going to grab Pollard, you're going to grab, you know, Kenneth Walker, you're going to grab, and which Kenneth Walker had moved up to round six, you know, so who knows? He could still stay higher up. Right. Um, than where he was start. He started off around eight. He got up to like round six. Um, so, I mean, he, you know, how sometimes when these guys ADPs move up, they don't always slide as far as we think. But I would think he ends up being a seventh, eighth round pick. So we'll have to see where it, where it goes. But I think with Michael Carter, obviously, and with Devin Singletary, we got other things to talk about with those two players. But I agree. I think high end RB3. If you want to measure RB2, that's fine. But you need to take multiple guys in that range. Shout out uh, Cole Bailey. I appreciate all you guys in the comments asking who's left for day three. One just reminder, we're not going to go through everyone that gets drafted and who is available on day three, so sorry for that. But the fact that no, these running backs, the remaining running backs, haven't been drafted in the first three rounds is a massive red flag for what we should be expecting them to achieve in 2022 uh, specifically because rookies at every single position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, over the last 10 years, 80% or more of them have been drafted inside the first three rounds so Dwayne you mentioned before like James Robinson that being a unique situation like it kills me when I see on Twitter people like oh this guy is this year's James Robinson you should be saying this guy is gonna be this decade's James Robinson because (laughs) stuff like that is so rare and I know it sticks out in our mind because it only happened a few years ago uh, but just realize back is truly against the wall historically if your name has not already been called in the NFL draft that's why we're focusing much more on these guys and I will say like the backs, you know, are much more likely to end up being relevant just via injury, right? Than the receivers. Yeah. The receivers that are taken after day three, like in their rookie year, like it's it's really hard. Yeah, for the even backs, round two, yeah, yeah. For the backs, injuries open the door, right? So it is nice to have a little bit of background on them, you know. And if we have time at the end of the show, we can run through some really, really quick, like sure. like a quick hitter. But but I agree with you. For the most part, if we're thinking of it like starting the season, this player is going to have value or not, you know you're still depending on an injury for a lot of these guys that are that are going to go after today 
Dwayne, I love you. I like to think our listeners do as well, but they might not if we keep spending 10 minutes on some of these more random wide receivers we're about to get through. So we get one NFL draft day a year. Like I think the listeners. Oh, I know. We're good. I'm not saying we're not, we can go a couple hours. I don't, I don't give a shit about time, but let's not, let's not necessarily, you know, waste a bunch on some of these other guys we're going to be getting to pick 43 New York Giants selected wide receiver one Dale Robinson loaded depth chart already. We got Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius, Tony, Darius Slate. And then the Giants GM felt the need to come out after the draft. And when he got asked about them drafting a slot receiver, what's this mean for Kadarius Tony? He insisted again that they are not shopping Tony. Maybe he's lying. That whole report seemed a little bit off, you know, from the start. I think some people have questioned the overall uh, validity of it. But man, heard Mike Renner on the PFF draft show talking about how Robinson really is in that mold, more of a, of a 2 2 Atwell, uh, Dwayne Eskridge, you know, just more of a gadget type player. He did have 13 deep receptions. Maybe the Giants know something we don't, but apparently, man, the second that Wandale Robinson steps on an NFL field, he will have the, the single smallest catch radius of any wide receiver out there. He's five foot eight, 179 pounds. Dwayne, I do not see a path to Wandale Robinson being a fancy relevant receiver this year, unless he's like just incredible Kadarius Tony level good. But I think we would know at this point, having watched, having analyzed, if that was the case. Yeah, I do just think this is bad for Kadarius. Like, it's like just everything adds up now. Like, they really are out on him for whatever reason. Um, you know, Robinson's got a good profile. You know, this might be, be like their Isaiah. This might be uh, Brian Dables, like Isaiah McKenzie. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe that's what they're thinking. You know, I mean, he's going to be, he's only going to be, won't even be 22 when the season starts. A career yards per route run of 2.96. That's the best in the class. Like, he does have that. I mean, you have to count Justin Ross is higher. Uh, but, you know, Justin Ross also is 2.99, but Ross played less games. Wandell played more. Um, explosive target rate, though only 19%. So a, a player that is used much more around the line of scrimmage, you mentioned he did have some deep targets. So I do think he's going to be used out of the slot, and, and I think there is a challenge because if you do have Kadarius Tony on your roster, if you do have Sterling Shepard, that does create an immediate situation where it's like, okay, um, it's kind of like the Rondell Moore thing with Christian Kirk last year. Like, yeah. Okay, well, if those guys are going to play the slot, like that means he's going to be very limited in what he can do. Robinson, I agree. More of a concern for Tony, even maybe Shepard, than actually someone that we're getting behind uh, himself in Fantasyland. Next pick, Houston Texans selected wide receiver John Mechie, joining a depth chart consisting of Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, Chris Moore, Chris Conley, Deshaun Hamilton, and even former first-round pick Philip Dorsett. With Mechie, yeah, could be out there early, but we got to wonder how long is it going to be until he's back from that torn ACL that he suffered in the SEC championship. So, Dwayne... I- the Texans are in the perfect place to take a risk on someone like John Mechie. The Lions as well, you know, with Jamison Williams. So I do wonder if they just got him knowing that, yeah, we don't need anything from him in 2022. I highly doubt this offense is capable of enabling, uh, you know, more than one consistent wide receiver in fantasy land. Aside from Brandon Cooks, you know, with or without a full slate of health from John Mechie, with all those health questions in mind, probably someone that we're not going to have to worry about too much in 2022. For the dynasty future, though, I mean, this Houston Texans landing spot, you got to feel good about it because he has a legitimate chance to work as the Texans' number two pass game option of the future. Yeah, and I think that's where he slots in. I think the big thing with Mechie, everybody just assumes he's a slot receiver, but he worked outside a ton at Alabama. So he can play inside. He can play um, outside. Um, I think there's a chance that by the middle of this season, he's their wide receiver too. What will that mean? Well, uh, that depends on Davis Mills. Yeah. We also know that, you know, whenever you look at the Texans, they want to run the ball more. Like they're one of the teams. I know we've got a switch and head coaching, but it's Lovey Smith. It's a defensive-minded head coach. Marlon Mack, Dwayne. 
Can you yeah, believe they, it? It's Marlon Mack season. Yeah, it's never Marlon <laughs> Mack season anymore. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have it just for today, Ian. Um, but with Matthew, look, I do think he's got a shot to easily beat up. I don't want to say easily. I like Nico Collins. I'm not as big on Nico Collins as other people. I see, you know, a big guy, but not necessarily, like, super impressed with him. I do think Mechie could end up taking over the job. But, yes, early in the season, he's not going to be a guy. We'll have to, we'll, we'll have to follow his injury, see where he's going to be. Some of these guys miraculously get better way sooner than what we think they're going to do. Um, so, yeah, I think you hit it on the head. New England Patriots, pick number 50, select wide receiver Tyquan Thornton. Uh, we were saying in the chat, you know, again, Dwayne, Nathan, and myself just making uh, all the analysis for the PFF draft tracker. Find it on PFF.com. But, you know, we like to defer some of the expert analysis from our draft experts. And it's never a good sign when we get a player's name. We go to the PFF draft guide. We hit control F and nothing comes up because, you know, yeah, they break down hundreds of players. And the fact that the player couldn't crack that list and you're getting drafted this high, you know, someone's wrong there. Maybe it is PFF. Maybe we'll laugh about this, but not good. And believe me, consensus, big board, whatever. And Dwayne, like what they need him for, man. They, I forgot about the Devonte Parker trade until I even looked at their depth chart, but he's looking like their potential number one. If not, he's definitely in three wide receiver sets. Kendrick Bourne's making too much money and he was honestly good enough last year where he's not leaving the picture. They love Jacoby Myers and for good reason. He does good things. Nelson Aguilar is making probably too much money to be completely cast aside. I would think Nikhil Harry is traded or cut before too long, but he's also in the picture like Tyquan Thornton. Per Mike Renner, kind of just profiles as an Anthony Schwartz type player where it's like speed, baby. Just hot, nasty, badass speed, like Eleanor Roosevelt once said. So these 8.25-inch hands, like Tyquan Thornton, maybe he is a great real-life asset. He brings a different dimension to this offense. They could use a field stretcher, you know, kind of like his archetype is supposed to be. But come on, man, we don't need to worry about him this year. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with Tyquan Thornton. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, what are the Patriots doing? <laughs> like, this guy's mocking at pick 160. So, like, they take a, a guard, which we like, Cole Strange, in the first round, and then they turn around and take, you know. But they could have gotten both these guys, like, rounds later, That's, seemingly. Well, yeah, like, as you would say to me, and let me finish. <laughs> yeah, he could have been fair, a fourth or fair. fifth round pick. Man. He could have been a. I'm messing with you. He could have been a fourth or a fifth round pick. They could have both of these guys later. What's funny is like they're maneuvering all over the draft like they're these masterminds. Oh, we're going to land right in this spot to get caught. Like, come on, guys. Like with, with Thornton, I don't get it, though. And and people talk about him being a burner. 1.87 yards per route run career, um, you know, mark. That's not good. That's freaking terrible. Like that's that's really bad. That's be, that's below actually the NCAA average, much less comparing to guys that get drafted into the NFL. And then you got a 22% career explosive target rate. All that burner speed that we're talking about, it's not showing up in the way that he plays the game. So, I mean, the 22% is also not good. So that's right at the NCAA, at the NCAA average. So I don't I don't get the Taquan Thornton pick, and I want nothing to do with him in any sort of draft. I don't care if it's Dynasty. I don't care if it's, you know, <laughs> drinking drafts. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Redraft, best ball. I'm not talking, touching Taquan Thornton. Here's to hoping that's the last time we talk about Taekwon Thornton for the 2022 football season. But knowing us, probably won't be. Pick number 52, Pittsburgh Steelers selected wide receiver George Pickens stopping. You know, what was a bit of a free fall for him? You know, a trendy kind of dark horse, you know, even though that's an oxymoron. Good job, Ian. Uh, someone that some people thought could maybe slip into the back half of that first round to the Chiefs or Packers. Ends up going, you know, towards the end of the second. Looking at that Steelers depth chart, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Anthony Miller, Miles Boykin, and Steven Sims big five right now 
My first question with this, Dwayne, is where does Pickens fit in exactly? Because each of Deontay, Claypool, and Pickens have really been career outside wide receivers. I think Deontay, you know, T.Y. Hilton for years, like people just thought he was a slot receiver because he was short and he played some slot, but he was a mostly outside wide receiver. I think there might be a little bit of that idea with Deontay Johnson as well because of how low his average target depth usually is, all the screens and uh, stuff he gets around the line of scrimmage. But he's never played more than 100 snaps in the slot in a season like Claypool's have more slot reps than uh you know than Deontay over the years I really don't think Anthony Miller is you know gonna be getting that job but they needed to replace Juju and uh Ray Ray McLeod who was legitimately their starting slot receiver when Juju was out last year Pickens I don't think is that guy is there a chance Claypool is on the way out or something man like this is not good for Chase Claypool that's my point because Pickens skill set really seems to overlap with what they're already asking Claypool to do yeah, and I still look. I still like Claypool too. I, I think we're probably overthinking it. I think the the Steelers like to draft receivers, <laughs> um, you know, and they continue to do so. And guess what? They're usually pretty good at it. So yeah. I think you know this is it's a situation where the biggest issue is we're going to have Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett under center, right? And, and look, I know people are like, well, wow, it was Big Ben last year. I mean, can it really be that big of a downgrade? Well, I think by moving to these quarterbacks, we're going to see them. They're not going to throw the ball as much. And so you're probably going to see more under center stuff. You got Matt Canada running the offense, going to be a lot, probably going to run the ball more. Um, Maybe they can be more efficient, but I just worry, are there going to be enough balls to go around with potentially mediocre to bad quarterback play being spread across all three, you know, of these players? I do think that will be your three wide receiver set because I think it's clearly going to be the best three players that we're going to see on the Steelers. Um, The thing I would say about Pickens, I do like him for rookie drafts. I like him for dynasty um, you know, you may have to wait a little bit, but I mean, Deontay's also one of these receivers in that he's going into that year five and these teams don't want to pay these receivers, these 20, $25 million contracts. They're just not down for it. So well, I say not, not all of them, like, seems like the lead's kind of split half of the, half the teams want to trade for those kind of guys. The other half is kind of like, well, here, we'll just get, we'll, we'll unload this because we don't want to spend this money in this area. So there's a chance that Deontay Johnson, you know, is going to end up coming up, you know, he's going to want this, you know, deal. And they're not going to want to give it to him. And then you could be looking at it being Pickens and Chase Claypool. The thing I'll say about Pickens, man, like injuries just derailed his career. Like he broke out early. Um, you know, things were looking really good. Um, he ended up, you know, last spring tearing an ACL, you know, so and then he ended up still coming back and being able to play, you know, at the end, you know, at the end of the season, you know, miraculously. And, and so, I mean, after he started, you know, his uh, freshman year did really well. He only played 12 games since then. But I went back and looked at his career numbers, so career yards per route run, and this is not a knock on Drake London. We we like Drake London, so don't take it this way, but I'm just giving <laughs> you a comparison. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you George Pickens numbers first, then Drake London, who was the eight number eight pick overall. Career yards per route run, two point three five Pickens, two point three two London. Single man yards per route run. So that is in a situation where it's just you versus the other player, two point seven six versus two point six three. Single man targets per route run. So where did the quarterback go whenever they saw this um, coverage for the receiver? 36% for Pickens, 29% for London. 15 plus yard play. So explosive targets per, uh, not per route, but per, sorry, explosive receptions per target, 26% um, versus 30%. So it, it's just, um, and that's wrong. That 30% is wrong for London. It's That should be 23%. 26% versus 23%. So you actually have Pickens' best London in every one of those. They both broke out at a very similar age. Pickens just happened to get hurt. Now, yeah. do we know he could keep on and continue on and be on that trajectory? 
No, we don't because it didn't happen. Like, but these career numbers are over his career. That's why he went pick fifty three. Yeah, but at the end of the day, like I think this could be a huge discount. I think the reason he fell, if you go read Bruce Feldman's article over at the Athletic, like man, dude, scouts were blowing this dude up. They're like top five talent. I wouldn't touch it. You know, I don't know what he did in the interview process. He must have gave like everybody the double birds. You know, maybe he brought a Girl Scout, you know, to the to the to his interviews, pulled out the AKE, and I don't know for sure, but like he he definitely rubbed um, a lot of people the wrong way as far as front office types. So I think that's part of it. But the Steelers, you know, they're really good about picking these guys. So in dynasty drafts, man, I still love him as a back end of the first round pick. Like if I can get my hands on George Pickens, absolutely want to be trying to do that. I don't want to let him slip into the second. I'm definitely going to take him before the end of the first round. As far as redraft, I'm with you. I mean, look, it's, 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 he has the upside if the quarterback could go, if the quarterback can make things go, right? We could talk, be talking about a, a wide receiver four, but most likely this is a wide receiver five with, uh, with contingent upside if something happens to one of the other guys. It's probably going to be a more run-heavy offense. And Najee and Fryermuth are some of the more involved pass game options at their position in the NFL. What you said, though, about the Steelers maybe moving on from Deontay, I mean, come on, everyone. Look at the last few months. I think we're seeing that teams are not wanting to pony up necessarily these game-changing contracts for these wide receivers on their second deals. And Deontay will be an unrestricted free agent after next season. Look, Dwayne, I'm not a GM, probably never will be. I don't know if Deontay <laughs> is someone that I'd be willing to sign up it's and pay $100 million dollars to. It's in your range of outcomes. You can still be a GM. <laughs> I like chilling too much. You know, that's just that's just how it goes. You say but that, dude. You're a freaking, you grind your ass off. If there was an organization that could just bet on themselves drafting another great wide receiver, because I saw your uh, a tweet earlier today, Dwayne. I thought you uh, hit the nail on the head in terms of, Wide receivers are not as replaceable as running backs, and if teams are going to start acting like they are, we're going to see some problematic shit going down. If the Steelers want to think that, though, they maybe are the one organization that can get away with it. I mean, over the past 20 years, Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Mike Wallace, Antonio Holmes, Juju, Martavis Bryant, Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Antoine Randall L., Plaxico Burris, and out of that group, Claypool was the highest one picked, so they weren't even spamming first-round picks. I mean, the Lions, you know, spent three first-round picks in a row on wide receivers uh eagles got i think the eagles got pretty damn close too there's been a couple teams that have done that none of them can attest to having this sort of game-changing talent so credit to the steelers for developing one great wide receiver after another we will see if pickens will be that guy pal don't think it'll be in 2020 imagine the steelers room when the when the patriots make their receiver picks do you think they're just <laughs> all rolling around on the floor going what the fuck just absolutely yeah they're like they just took Tyquan Thornton like what you know it's almost like the Sean McVay thing with Cole Strange you know and he wasn't trying to be a prick but it was (laughs) we thought he'd be there at 100 and we wasted our time watching him (laughs) pick number 53 Indianapolis Colts select wide receiver Alec Pierce adding to their depth chart. Very thin. We knew they were going to add a wide receiver, just weren't exactly sure when. Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, Ashton Doolin, and Kiki Cootie. Thinking Pierce is going to slide into that kind of same wide receiver five, wide receiver six range. Guys that we aren't really going to be overly invested in. Maybe you take a shot on him in the double-digit rounds, just not someone that is probably going to carve out a number one, even number two pass game role in this offense. What I'm interested in, Dwayne, is how the Colts view him because Paris Campbell, when he came out of Ohio State, the big knock on him was that he wasn't this downfield uh, vertical threat. I think only like one of his career touchdowns had come on a pass thrown at least 20 yards downfield. It was the Dwayne Haskins, 
RIP, uh, just pop passes to Paris Campbell, making a ton of plays. He was a high school running back. But when he got to the Colts, they were adamant from day one that Paris Campbell was more than that, and they viewed him as a complete number one wide receiver. I'll be keeping a sharp eye out on everything, but mostly on how what Frank Reich is saying about Alec Pierce because, you know, from our PFF dra- draft guide, a vertical tree specialist, 6'3", though, 211 pounds, had 13 deep receptions, but Mike Renner noted that goes, slants, and posts were 63% of his receiving yards. Goes and slants, you know, two of the things that you're going to see most often at the NFL level. So, Dwayne, when you see Alec Pierce, do you see a one-dimensional field stretcher, or do you see someone that was used that way in college and maybe has a ceiling for much more at the next level? You know, I think it's a tough one, you know, to answer. And he is a player that I did go, I went back and watched, you know, just because I didn't know. You don't always know with these guys, um, you know, based on the way they're getting used in college, could they do more? And based on when their targets are coming. So it's like you have to kind of watch some of the plays where they're not being targeted. And and so with Pierce, though, I still walked away like being kind of, I just wasn't really that high on him, you know? And I mean, the 2.18 yards per route run, you know, that really bothered me. That's only 44th percentile um, going back to, you know, any player that we have at least three years of data on, which would go back to 2017. Um, so everybody that's come out into the draft since then, and not even just draft, like these all these receivers, like he's he's doesn't profile that well. Now he has, he did have an explosive target rate of 25%, which puts him in the 71st, 71st percentile, which is not bad. So it does feel like it matches up, right, um, with what we're hearing, you know, from the scouting community and folks is that he really is more of that vertical guy. Um, I didn't see enough, like, on the film. And again, I'm not a film expert like some of these other guys, but I didn't see enough to make me think, wow, yeah, he can really do all of these other things. So, I mean, okay. we'd have to I, – I, you know what? I wish I would have checked, like, Jetpack Galileo or some of these other guys. You know, I know we got time. We got time, too. A little bit on Pierce. But, yeah, I'm just not that excited about it. I, I do think he'll probably – he has a good shot to start on the outside, and I think Campbell's going to play inside in the slot. That's fair. I do wonder, could we see, he's got better draft capital, but like we saw this last year with uh, Josh Palmer, for example, came into the Chargers, third round pick. We all kind of, I think, thought he might be starting there from day one, but we overlooked Jalen Guyton, who not spectacular, but an incumbent starter, someone that they relied on. I do wonder if Ashton Doolin could be that guy for the Colts where, yeah, it looks like Alec Pierce, probably their hopeful long-term replacement for T.Y. Hilton as their field stretcher. I know T.Y. was way more than that throughout his career, but just in the Michael Pittman kind of era, this wide receiver room, that's how they were using Hilton. So, yeah, Campbell, probably more so in the slot. And that suits him better. I would still probably say, Dwayne, God, you know, God forbid the injury gods just give us one good year of Paris Campbell. I would probably still expect Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell to lead the way in this passing game. But hey, maybe Pierce has a sort of, you know, fancy friendly deep ball targets to actually win out over Campbell. Either way, this offense is going through Jonathan Taylor. More time, more simulations than not. Michael Pittman's the only wide receiver we really, we really want to worry about here. Yeah, yeah, and I just I just plugged his uh, draft capital into the supermodel um, and pick fifty three. He gets a two point seven one. The max you can get is a four, um, and so really like most of the really good prospects um, that we get excited about, and I start listing them off. You're like, ooh, I like that name. I like that name. <laughs> they're they're right at three or above. Like there's some two point uh-huh. nines that are really good. So I mean, he's on he's on the cusp, but he's really with a lot of names that we wouldn't be crazy. Unfortunately, just really expecting, as you can see, projected drop back percentage this Colts offense to again be awfully run heavy. Matt Ryan's an upgrade from Carson Wentz. We know that, but volume is volume. Probably not going to be a lot of it for Alec Pierce in 2022. 
Exciting pick time. 54, Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Sky Moore. Someone that PFF had as a top 30 selection on the big board. Kansas City Chiefs, man. One pick after another. You know, it, We all know resident uh, you know, mathematician at PFF, Eric Eager, loves his Chiefs. I think he's always talking to people you know, surrounding that organization, maybe in there. And one pick after another, the Chiefs were like taking just the best remaining player on the PFF big board. So makes you wonder, Dwayne, uh, what exactly they're looking at there on the web browser. Uh, maybe we can get a hacker on that. But anyway... With Sky Moore enters a depth chart. MVS, Juju Smith Schuster, Miko Hardman, Josh Gordon. It's unclear if you need to have a hyphen in your name to start in Kansas City. Certainly seems to help, but I think Sky Moore should be able to overcome that. The question, Dwayne, how much can we expect from Sky Moore? A lot of the things we talked about with Christian Watson and this Packers and Chiefs offense, we've come back to a similar, like, all right, the most, if we had to guess in Kansas City, how many wide receivers are going to clear a thousand yards? I would probably say zero. I think Travis Kelsey will. But if I had to go with the rest of these guys, man, we could legitimately see more of a four-wide receiver rotation between MVS, Juju, and Mecole Hardman. Sky Moore is not going to be just a slot receiver. The Chiefs have never used just a single, at least in the last Mahomes era. They've always rotated these guys all over the field. Usually Tyreek was their starting slot, but even then, it was like a 40% slot rate. And then just splitting time on the other sides. And again, man, I... I'm buying Sky Moore as the highest upside of this group. I think it's going to be harder to rank him as more than like a top 50, top 45 wide receiver, though, because like who's to say that he's going to be featured ahead of these other guys that they've invested in? Yeah, the beauty is you're probably going to be able to get him in the ninth or 10th round, maybe 11th rounds of your draft. He's probably going to go somewhere in that range, um, especially in sharper drafts. And you're going to want exposure to Sky Moore at, at that range. Let's start with him as the player. Um, I just put him into the supermodel. He gets a 3.00. So he passes yeah. the threshold that we want. And when you look at Skymore, 22 years old, the draft capital saw a little less than actually what we thought it was going to be. He slid a little further, but it worked out because he lands with the Chiefs. But his best dominator season, 41%. Uh, career yards per route run, 2.92. So these are all dark blue. I, I think you're going to pull it up here. And then when you look at his landing spot, you know, you got um, the team's highest ADP is a 66, which we know is Juju Smith-Schuster. Obviously, you have Travis Kelsey going um, earlier than that. He's the number one tight end off the board. Um, but, but there's not as much competition at wide receiver, even based on ADP and what people think. Um, if you look at the team projected plays, going to be in the top five. You drop, look at the drop back rate, top five. And it's the number two QB off the board as far as ADP goes. So, like, he lights up the board blue more than anybody on our board right now. So yeah, I absolutely love Sky more for 2022. Doesn't mean he's the number one dynasty prospect, but I think it does make him potentially, you know, the biggest surprise, you know, for the season. So we've talked about Sky Moore, talked about his situation, but now let's just talk about Juju real quick. Juju Smith-Schuster has been on a complete downhill slide since his breakout season in 2018, where he had a 2.08 yards per route run. Next season drops to 1.49. Next year, 1.29. Last year, only played five games, 0.88 yards per route run. And then if you look at his targets per route run, same thing, 24%, down to 18% and 19%, and then down to 17%. He has not looked like the same player the last two years. Exactly. Right? He, all those stats and with your own damn eyes. And with your own damn eyes, which is why <laughs> he got nothing in the market. Two years in a row, the market was dry for Juju Smith-Schuster. So I, I, I get it. Juju is only going to be 26 years old in the season. He'll, be, he'll, he'll only be 25.8 when the season starts. He's still a young player, but I think people are holding on to that a little bit too much. Um, I don't really want... I'll get some exposure to Juju because he is on the Chiefs. You know, if he sticks around where he's going, my guess he's going to slip a little bit with Sky Moore getting drafted to that team. But, like, 
I just, again, Sky Moore is the player I'd rather make the bet on. Like when you look at Marquise Valdez-Scantling, I'm not going to pull up and give you guys all his data, but it's very similar. And he's already played with Aaron Rodgers. He's already had a chance to be the number two. And he's not, he's not even done what Juju's done from a yards per route run or targets per route run. And so look, typically these players that move, that all of a sudden we want to give them like and be, and be like, oh, look at all this opportunity that's going to come to them. They've usually flashed in these underlying metrics where we've kind of isolated the fact that maybe they didn't get on the field. We took that away and said, well, maybe you were behind other good players. And so let's just look, let's just only grade you on when you were on the field. And neither one of these players over the last three years have really done what they need to do to get us that excited. So look at the draft capital for more. Look at how well his production profile looks. Look at how well he just, he ticks every box for us. I'm going to draft Sky more like all the damn time. Like he might be my Jalen Waddle of this year. Jalen Waddle was on Ooh. over half of my teams last year. Sky Moore will most likely be on over half of my team this season. There were six first round wide receivers before the draft. Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, in some order were all considered the clear cut top five. I think they still deserve that, Dwayne, now knowing the landing spots. Is Sky Moore the wide receiver six now ahead of guys like Jahan Dotson and Christian Watson, who even boast better draft capital? I, I think for this season. For this season, yes. For this season, Sky Moore is my wide receiver three in this class. It's Trey Lundberg, wow. Drake London, Sky Moore. Wow. We're going over Garrett, over Alave, over Jameson. The more Just, I say it, the more for, it makes sense. For 2022, man, I'm, I'm not telling people to do that for Dynasty. I think in Dy- you know, if you look at Dynasty – those other guys are going to score higher, um, and, and they should. They should, and they've got the draft capital. But if you're just looking at 2022, um, look, and it's not like we're just putting more here just because of the landing spot. That's why I co- covered, like, his production profile and his yeah. college stuff first. He stands out on his own there, and now he also got the landing spot. The only thing you really downgrade more for is he did play against lesser competition. And so I think the NFL already did that. That's why he got taken in the second round and he still grades out really good. So like if I look at where he grades out near these other guys, like Drake London's a 3.38 and Sky Moore's a 3.0. I mean, yeah, that's when it, it's a scale of one of zero to four, like that's a decent amount. Um, but just looking at 2022, like once you get past that, like he's really close with Garrett Wilson and Olave, like they're, they're essentially like 0.05 from each other. So it's like, I would much rather take Sky more. Burks and London, best chance out of these guys to be their offense's number one pass game option. The problem we run into, and we talked about this last night, reviewing round one, Alave, Garrett, and Jamison, man, these aren't completely empty offenses. So when we take away the, like, you know, because you would think that if someone's getting drafted 12th overall or something, you're probably going to have a higher target ceiling than someone like Sky Moore going to 50s. Doesn't really apply. So for projecting similar targets, and now we have Patrick Mahomes, it's just easy at that point. So happy to talk through that. And if, if we can get someone with that profile, the chance to be Patrick Mahomes' number one wide receiver, priced as a wide receiver in four in fantasy, definition of buying someone closer to their floor than their ceiling. Like, we've done the Miko Hartman thing, man. We've even done the MVS thing, and we've seen Juju over the last two years. Let's go get us some Sky Moore. Unfortunately... Probably not going to be getting us some Trey McBride, at least in 2022. With the 55th overall pick, Arizona Cardinals took uh, the consensus top tight end in the class in Trey McBride. I don't know why, Dwayne. Good. You got Kyler Murray, another weapon, I guess. But how are you getting these guys out there? Are we going to start seeing, you know, McBride and Ertz playing tackle and we're going to have all these, like, different eligible player formations going on? Because I, I, think, I think we would love it so much more if they hadn't re-signed Wesley, re-signed A.J. Green, you know, I mean, I think we'd even be fine with Ertz 
Rondell Moore, Hollywood, and DeAndre, and then saying, okay, you know, McBride becomes a nice little thing. They, we wouldn't use him, obviously, for this season in fantasy, but yeah. But look, injuries happen. So this is more just good news for Kyler. Not, not that tight ends usually make Dude, but they, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but they already kind of, they made those equivalent A.J. Green and Antoine Wesley signings at tight end already. They re-signed Max Williams, who, you know, tore his ACL four or five weeks in the last year. He was their every-down tight end, and they felt the need to trade for Ertz. Then they give Ertz the $30 million deal. And they even brought in Steven Anderson from the Chargers, who was carving out a role in the you know their committee with uh, uh, Jared Cook and um, Donald Parham last year. So, my God, man, like... Even if Ertz goes down, like it's not necessarily a guarantee McBride's going to be the next man up. I think he's good enough to be that guy. The future is bright. But this Ertz contract, man, I was looking at it. They would need to trade Ertz after June 1st next year to get out of it before because otherwise they're eating 10 plus million in dead cap money. So like they can't release him really. It'd be 6 million with the post June 1st cut, but that's a lot. This Ertz contract is not that easy to get out of. I'm not sure they want to get out of it. It's Dallas Goddard all over again, and it's exactly who Trey McBride was comp to. Like, this is a great number two tight end on a team that's not going to feed him enough targets for us to care about him in fantasy. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals do use 12 personnel, like, as almost as much as any other team. They're kind of an interesting That's still, team. like, 20% they, they... or something. I'm not going to talk anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. But my point being, like, he's going to have a chance to get on the field. He'll have a chance to flash. He's not someone you're going to use in your fantasy lineup. So the point being, like, we'll get some more information on Trey McBride, like, this season. But he's just not a guy you're going to mess with and redraft. But he's the number one tight end, you know, for Dynasty. I mean, easily. Yeah. Um, he would have – it wouldn't have mattered where he landed. Like, he was going to get that grade no matter what. Always had the number one there. Two through five was what was up for debate. So yeah, we'll see what happens with McBride. It's a he's a good football player. It's all this is all good news for Kyler Murray. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers is looking at the moves the Cardinals have made and just you know cursing cursing them and himself out. He's like, can I rent like two of those guys? Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. He'd probably take AJ Green and Antoine Wesley uh, at this point. So pick number sixty three, the third running back off the board. Buffalo Bills select James Cook out of Georgia. Def chart now: Devin Singletary, Zach Moss. My guy, Duke Johnson, holding on by a thread, Dwayne. Not sure, not so sure we're going to be there by the time week one comes along, but a man can dream with James Cook. I think the main question, man, is there a true workhorse role on the table? Because we've seen this with Josh Allen. It's really hard for him to enable a fantasy-relevant uh, RB1 every single year of his career. We've seen him improve as a real-life passer. He's an incredible real-life quarterback, incredible fantasy quarterback. Stefan Diggs has been great. John Brown, Cole Beasley, even Emmanuel Sanders for stretches. Gabriel Davis, the wide receivers are fine. Dawson Knox puts up a big year, but the running back, man, really not until the end of 2021 with Devin Singletary having that every down roll did we see someone really put forward consistent RB1 production. And you can look at the two reasons why. Josh Allen steals goal line touchdowns. He is 10th overall in rushing touchdowns since entering the league. He has 31 on the Bills since 2018. And second place is Devin Singletary with 11. And then running back targets. You think Josh Allen has time for checking the ball down? He's freaking scrambling and hurdling dudes. He doesn't give a shit about that. 28th in total running back targets with Josh Allen since 2018. Last season, tied for 25th at 87. 
I worry with James Cook that we're looking at the player where all the you know real life draft analysts say, look at this chess piece the Bills have. They can use him out wide. They can get him matched up on linebackers in the pass game and just exploit that. Cool things that maybe you have a two or three play highlight clip to show. And we saw James Cook do that in the Michigan game. You know, burning dudes on the outside, big ass run against Alabama in the national championship. But is there going to be enough volume there, Dwayne? Because the draft capital is great, but I'm not so sure Cook is actually going to be taking over this backfield. Yeah, I think the draft capital is great. And you just have to look at Cook as you're taking, um, you know, a potential flex player, maybe, but with contingent value to be an RB2. Best case, maybe becomes an RB1, but most likely an RB2 if Singletary goes down. And he's still probably going to have to split time. Like, it's not just going to be a situation where all of a sudden it's just going to be Cook on the field. And, and so I think, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what they do with their depth chart. You know, they've got several guys sitting there right now. They're probably going to have to cut somebody, you know, before, uh, you know, before they break camp. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. But that's the way I'm going to treat Cook. Um, to your point, it's like, I guess the other positive is, like, we're not real big on Dawson Knox. He, he's basically living off the volume of the offense. We love Stefan Diggs. We have questions on Gabriel Davis. Definitely got a bump, you know, this weekend yep. by avoiding, you know, a wide receiver, uh, a big wide receiver name going to the Bills. That's huge, man. Yeah, it's big for, for Gabe Davis. Um, and so now feel free, draft him at a sixth round ADP. <laughs> like, it, you know, and it probably isn't going to go up. That's why we said just no. wait. Um, but I think there is potentially room for another playmaker to get involved. But to your point, like to feel good enough about using Cook all the time, it would mean an injury to Singletary, right? And him being able to be out there enough. My guess is right now Singletary is going to be more of the early down back, and they're going to put James Cook out there on passing downs. And to your point, like we've seen these guys get out there on passing downs in the past and where that was really their main role. We saw it with Matt Breida. We've seen and we've seen it. God, who's the other name I'm forgetting? I can't remember right now. Well, actually, Singletary at one point was the passing down guy when when Zach oh, Moss was, was getting third. getting early down. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Breida, he had a couple of flashes, right? We saw some big games. So I think you could see that thing out of that kind of thing out of James Cook, and we definitely think James Cook's better than Matt Breida. But you're never going to be able to predict it. Like so, I mean, yeah, you could put throw him out there if you're in best ball. Um, you know, you could take him towards in. You know. I don't know. He's probably going to be going higher than this, but I would think like around oh, 10, 9, I'd feel fine about taking a swing occasionally on Cook. Like, well, I'll have to think about that one, you know, some more. But my guess is he's going to push maybe, I don't know. That's probably about where he'll end up. It'd be my guess because people are still going to think Singletary is going to be involved. But to your point, like, I like the player, love the offense, love the quarterback, but I worry that, like, there's just too many things that have to go right for him to really produce and and the biggest thing being probably an injury to one of the other you know running backs tj eldon that was the name yeah, yeah. shout out jd mckissick was rb 39 in my ranks like naeem hines 47 james white he 49 he fits somewhere in that tier it's just you can put him at the top of that one just saying hey maybe he has more upside um you know we want to take a shot on him but i think that's i think you're in the right range of where he goes the Bills, I mean, we do see them, and similar to what I was saying before, I want to speak out of both sides of my mouth. Like, they use more four and five wide than almost anyone other than the Cardinals, albeit it's like the two tight end stuff where it's just not that high of a percentage anyway. But maybe their futuristic offense is having more of a full-time scat back at running back, like a James Cook, where, yeah, he's only going to get eight carries a game because they're not going to run the ball enough anyway. 
He does have higher draft capital than Singletary or Moss, but I think ultimately, like even if Singletary gets hurt, we're probably not seeing them give him that featured role. And that's the question you want to be asking, you know, in these later rounds of the draft, you know, round nine, round 10, how many injuries away is this running back from getting an RB1, RB2 level role? And for someone like J.D. McKissick, James Cook, it's multiple. For someone like, you know, a... Let's see, uh, Ronald Jones, uh, James Robinson, if he's healthy, Melvin Gordon, it's a lot less. So just something to keep in mind where we love the receiving. He's fine in that range because like a profile we talk about a lot to people, especially through PPR or even half point, you want a receiving profile and explosive playmaker. He checks both of those boxes. You know, he can catch the ball. 19% of his um, rushes, you know, over his career went for 10 yards or more, which was third best in this class. Number one was Kennedy Brooks. Second was Pierre Strong, and first was James Cook. So, I mean, he checks off two boxes we like, and he's in a really good offense. So I think there are paths definitely for James Cook to being valuable. I just think that my guess is is I want to see what happens with his ADP. I want to see how, how excited are people going to get about James Cook. You know, if he's going in the range we've been talking about, I think I'll probably be even to the field on exposure. To, to getting James Cook on my rosters. I don't think it'll be something where I'll be going out of my way to get him, maybe slightly above, but if he starts creeping up, you know, in seventh round, sixth round, like, mm, I'm just not going to be feeling that one again. Girl Scouts there, Ramondre Stevenson or James Cook? <laughs> uh, I kind of think Cook. I do too, because of the receiving profile. And we know for sure New England is going to use three backs no matter what, even if they have to sign like you off the street the week before the game. <laughs> like you're still going to get snaps. Um, whereas, and, and you know, you probably make that argument for Buffalo at this point too after the last three years. But uh, I think I do slightly lean Cook. And like, but that's the right range we, again. Like, where you're and we're about. completely, you know, I want to be careful that we don't completely dismiss the idea that he can be mm-hmm. an early down back type. Just because he you weighs 10 pounds. <laughs> yeah, just because he weighs 10 pounds less than the ideal threshold we'd like to mark. I mean, who's to say we won't get a report in early August like, oh, James Cook is up eight pounds since the Bills weighed him last because he's been working out with professional trainers. I'm sure Georgia was doing just fine with that, but just something to keep in mind there. Now, Dwayne, for the main event. The one that you wanted to rant about. Pick number 71. The Chicago Bears got Justin Fields, a wide receiver too. I don't even know if he's going to be a wide receiver too. Shout out Byron Pringle. Vilas Jones Jr. Might have mispronounced it, but man, like, come on. Who the hell is this guy at this point? Like, career high marks of 62 catches, 870 yards, seven scores in 2021. Was okay against man coverage, but my God, Dwayne. He turns 25 on May 11th, officially and legally allowed to rent an RV at that point. It could have been any, like, oh my gosh, any other wide receiver going to Chicago that we've talked about, I think we could at least say something good about their perspective. But I saw your write-up for the guy, and you didn't even give him, like, wide I gave him, like, a wide receiver seven rank, which indicates he's not going to get drafted. Like, you just straight up threw that one out there. Yeah, I just said undrafted. (laughs) (laughs) Look, man, what are the Bears doing? Justin Fields needs help. Like, get your shit together. This guy is 25 years old. A 2.05 career yards per route run sucks. 20% explosive target rate. He ran fast. Guess what? It doesn't show up on the field. Best dominator, 23%, despite, you know, getting to play until, you know, know, he's got his AARP card. Like, I mean, come on. Like, what the hell is going on? I do not get it. 
Yes, there are targets available. Do I think this guy's going to earn any of them? No, I don't. I don't think this guy's going to do anything. I mean, if you want to take him at the very – I would not take this player in best ball because he has busts <laughs> written all over him, and you don't just want to immediately give away um, one of your roster spots. If you're in a deep league and you're a Bears fan and you're like, F you, Dwayne, i got to take him, fine – Make sure it's something where you can drop his ass and then go pick up somebody else. Like, okay, but like, I'm not touching him in Dynasty. I'm not touching him in any format. I want nothing to do with Velas Jones. There's just nothing about the pro look, nothing about his profile. Even once you put the draft capital in, like the hit rate on this type of player is terrible. It's almost zero percent. Like, so there's just no reason to mess with him. Maybe the most damning thing you can say about a wide receiver. I don't even want him in best ball. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, I think there's a misnomer. We'll talk about that later. But with, I think people waste too many roster spots with best ball, and you can't adjust later. So I think, I think there's a little bit of misnomer. But yeah, it is bad. Like I think the worst thing is when you say I wouldn't even take him in dynasty, like in a a (laughs) format where like you don't even have to drop anybody. You could just leave him down there forever. Like, "Eh, I don't even want him. I don't even want to give this. I mean, if you try to give the guy like two or three years, you know, to get better, like he's going to be 75 years old. So I I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Pick number 73, Indianapolis Colts tight end, Jelani Woods. I'm taking responsibility for this because I have spoken this into existence over the last two weeks. I saw, you know, shout out the 2021 mock draft extraordinaire, Josh Norris. He was trying to say Jelani Woods somewhere, and I said, no, we need him to get to Mo Alley Cox. I tweeted Mo Alley Cox and Jelani Woods on the same team, or we riot. And everyone, we don't have to riot. Now, is this good for fantasy? Absolutely not. But we now have the two largest tight ends I have ever seen with my own two eyes in the same offense at the same time and I cannot wait to see our guy Jetpack Galileo just completely you know photoshopping the shit out of these two dudes like Jonathan Taylor is going to be getting 10 yards before contact running behind the two largest individuals in the NFL unfortunately Dwayne like my big takeaway here because look rookie tight ends you know I've said this stat a million times I'll say it a million more only Evan Ingram and Kyle Pitts have done it over the last 10 years top 12 production as rookies only Gronk if you want to go back to 2010 that's not on the table for Jelani Woods. He's going to be in a three tight end committee in all likelihood with Mo Alley Cox and also their uh, second year tight end, Kylan Granson. The question, Dwayne, is Mo Alley Cox even worth a late round dart at this point? Because, yeah, they gave him that three year, $17 million deal, but adding someone like Jelani Woods at the early parts of the third round, I don't think he's going to be sitting on the bench. And, man, we cannot live with three tight end committees. Two, barely. Three, absolutely not. Yeah, and it's a team that loves those. So yeah, I don't yeah, Mo Alley Cox I'm I'm not as interested. And he was already like a really late round to your point, dart throw. Just not gonna throw that dart, you know, as often now. But um, maybe Jelani Woods can end up being something in the future. Um, you know, I, I do like his size. I like the fact that he finally got an opportunity to and this is why you have to be careful with some of these players. Like if, if Jelani Woods had came out last year, like we wouldn't even know who he was. Like, but he, but he played this next season, you know, really got used in a better fashion. And so now here he is, you know, getting drafted in the third round. So congratulations to Jelani Woods. Excited for him. But yeah, not excited about the Indianapolis Colts and having to sort through this rotation at tight end. And a run Sorry. heavy offense. No, no, you're good. I got lights going on and off in my room without my, uh, 
clicking it. I don't know. We got some ghost spirits emerging on 110 a.m. in the uh, Hardest household. So wasn't trying to say anything bad about Jelani and Mo'Ally Cox. Maybe that's a sign, Dwayne. You never know. Pick number 74, Atlanta Falcons took quarterback Desmond Ritter, second QB off the board, took this damn long. Depth chart now consists of Marcus Mariota, preseason all-star. Not really, but he had a really long run one time. Felipe, Felipe Franks and also Desmond Ritter. Man, is Ritter going to be the week one starter, Dwayne? Because I don't, here's the thing. It's a good question in terms of like, okay, what's the Falcons' uh, real life perspective going to be? But I was looking at Ritter. He runs a 4.52, 40-yard dash. He averaged a respectable 43.6 rush yards per game. But you watch him play and you're like, okay, he's not really this Malik Willis caliber. Yeah. Even Jalen Hurts guy, someone that's going to use their legs for a fantasy-friendly purpose. And he kind of reminded me of Marcus Mariota like that. Also someone that was really athletic and was able to put up some big numbers in college, but ultimately didn't quite give us that true dual threat floor. Basically, even if Ritter gets that week one starting job, do we really give a shit in fantasy land? Because let's face it, he doesn't have many avenues to go with the football. With all due respect to youngins, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and of course, Autumn Tate. Like if you're a, if you play quarterback and you're not a first round pick, basically I'm, I'm not interested. Like I, I know there are hits. I know that we've got Dak and we've got Russ. I mean, we have That's contracted. it, though. That's it. Yeah. I mean, well, we can go back to Brady. You can go, I mean, if you go Rookie year. Rookie year hits, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Brady it took an injury to, to Bledsoe. But, yeah, it's it's just not worth messing with. You know, if you're in a redraft and all of a sudden, like, he blows up like a, you know, and Prescott didn't even really blow up, right, in his rookie year. Like, it was, it was good. Low-end no QB1. Because no one, because nobody expected it. But you can pick him up off the waiver line. There's, there's really no reason. And in best ball, especially if you're drafting right now, you're not going to know which guy. So I'm just not really messing with it. I'm not touching the Falcons quarterback. And even once we eventually know, which I think it will be Mariota to start the year, we are talking about a third-round quarterback. Um, at some point, Ritter probably gets a shot, you know, this year. We just don't know when it's going to be. So it's going to have to be something more where we're thinking about it on, like, this is a waiver wire type situation. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Even if we knew Ritter was going to be the QB1, he's probably not cracking the top 24 quarterbacks we're looking at in redraft. Does him going as a second QB have have him as a top three quarterback, though, for you in Dynasty? Because we'll talk about Malik Willis a little bit in a minute, but Kenny Pickett obviously getting the round one draft capital. He's certainly going to be in the top three. But the top five, man, was kind of up for grabs. We did see Matt Corral go later. Ritter at 74, enough for you to have him top three? Uh, I mean, they're all so close together. The draft capital is not going to make a big difference because, like, just once you leave the first round, it's such a huge cliff. I mean, because we had Ritter go at 74, Willis went at 86, so only 12 picks later, and then you've got Corral at 94. So they're all going to grade pretty similar um, because we're further down in the draft. So uh, I think, honestly, it comes down to your preference on those three players, not worrying about the draft capital. They're all, you know, they're just all so close together. Um, I do, I think that, you know, with Ritter, like there is that chance, you know, I mean, he's got a very clear path, you know, obviously to be in the starter, like Malik Willis, just got Ryan Tannehill in front of you. Um, Matt Corral, uh, as Corral has got just as, you know, he's obviously got a path too, right. With Sam Darnold in front. So they both have a situation where the quarterbacks in front of them aren't great and we should know something pretty quick. So at least with Ritter, and with Corral, you're going to know sooner rather than later. Malik Willis is definitely going to have the higher ceiling, but you may have to wait a bit. Next up, the Denver Broncos. Pick number 80 took tight end Greg Dolchich. 
man, this is not good, Dwayne. And we've been pretty fair throughout the offseason cycle. I think I'm doing a good job not overreacting to some of these secondary signings, but also knowing when there is a secondary signing that could take a perceived full-time player down into more of a committee. This might be one of those because when the Broncos, they threw Noah Fant in that trade to Seattle, all the hype was there for Alberto. And it, there was no reason not to be hyped about the guy. Both of us had him inside our top 12. Some people were even going top 10 with it. Only free agency signing worth a damn. Eric Tomlinson, career block first tight end, just $1.4 million, $1 million deal. No problems at all. This is not great, though, because if you start looking into Greg Dolchich a little bit, no, we're not expecting Greg to do anything on his own in 2022. That's going to be a fancy, viable role. But the guy is a receiver playing tight end, essentially. I mean, PFF's Mike Renner was saying that ideally you could be using Greg on the outside or in the slot, lined up as a true receiver, but Denver's already so damn loaded at the position that they're not going to really be worrying about that. So you look at Albert O. Dwayne, one time. In two years, has he played even more than 60% of the offensive snaps? It's going to be a big leap of faith all of a sudden to take him as a top 12 tight end. I would say that my difference with Albert O is he is no longer someone I'm prioritizing in that tier. I don't think you need to drop him to tight end 20 or anything ridiculous like that. But all of a sudden, Albert O versus Dawson Knox, Pat Fryer with Irv Smith, even like Mike Desicki and Logan Thomas. I think there's a lot of fair questions here because I'm just more convinced than some of these other guys, even like a Tyler, like why take the chance on Albert O's? The upside really that alluring to take a chance on a guy that we might sit there the first Sunday night after week one and be like, he's a part-time player. Why not just take Irv Smith, Tyler Higby? We know a full-time role is in there in a passing game that's probably going to be just as productive. I'm still projecting Albert O for a full-time role. I mean, it's a third-round tight end. And, and yes, he is yeah. a receiving tight end, but we see this sort of tight end get taken all the time. And, man, half of them never do anything, over half of them. And so with Albert O, the way – here's the thing. I'm looking at Albert O as the player, um, and I'm focusing on him. Like 2.28 yards per out run, 1.94 yards per out run in 2020 and 21. Targets per route run, 28% and 24%. Those numbers match – what you saw from Kelsey, from Gronk, from the true elites. Hardly anybody puts up these numbers. Yes, it was on limited, you know, on a on limited snap count, but that's the beauty of per route run type metrics, right? All we care about is, well, you were on the field, what'd you do? You kicked ass. That's what you did. And so for me, I still keep I'm keeping Albert O in a tier above all the players um, wow. that you just named. Um, I'm definitely not moving him down. It's a third round tight end. I, and, and and you've talked about tight ends before, how long it takes them and how mostly even first round tight ends don't do anything. So with Dulcich, I'm just, I, I don't like the pick. Like I think the Denver Broncos wasted their pick and that's nothing against Dulcich. He may be a fine player, but I feel like they had other things that they could have addressed rather than worrying about this. Now, again, teams want depth. If Albert O goes down and they really like him, do they have a receiving tight end? The answer right now is no. They've got Tomlinson. So maybe their plan right now is just let this guy sit behind him. But Dulcich is definitely not enough to scare me off of Albert O. I do hope, though, that it is enough for others to get worried about him and push his ADP down. I would love that. Okay. I think you could rank him as the tight end 10, and I wouldn't, like, book a plane and that's ticket to Texas to beat you your start ass. looking – at the players below him, like, like the, the name you name that I like the most that's below him is Irv Smith. Um, yes. You know, I do yes. like Irv, you know, I'm a yes. for Irv. So it's like, I, I'm, I'm on board with that, but Albert O has still shown way more than Irv, than Irv, you know, in the time he's got to be on the field. So Albert O, man, I just, man, the upside is still so huge. Like you just, if you do hit on Albert O and, and there's a chance you don't, 
But man, the ceiling is just so freaking sky high with the guys that he compares to. So I love the dude. Hopefully ADP goes down yeah. and then we don't have to worry about it. Okay. Let's you, pump you it talk- up. We'll, we'll push it down. We'll push it down. We'll, we'll <laughs> talk about Bells as being the end of Alberto. <laughs> It could easily, and you know, one of the notes I made down here, like, look, with the Raiders, I mean, they have Darren Waller and Foster Moreau, and what happens? Like, we know Moreau can do some good things, but it's Darren Waller's show. He plays all the time anyway. Yeah. Moreau's a true backup. Maybe that is the thing with Dolchich. I mean, he is not polished. I mean, he's not going to be stealing run snaps away. So from that perspective, maybe it is a positive. We'll see how that shakes out in Denver. And now the man that we, some people had going number two overall, at least, you know, this time a couple months ago, 86 overall pick now, Tennessee Titans quarterback Malik Willis joins the depth chart. Thank God they drafted a high quarterback. Like, I know he's probably not going to start this year, but Ryan Tannehill, the fact that Logan Woodside was the Titans' backup quarterback for the last two years was one of the biggest, like, team malpractices that never bit them in the ass because they got lucky that Tannehill didn't get hurt. But I watched Logan Woodside in the AAF. He was a mediocre (laughs) spring league quarterback. And when I saw, like, I would make these backup quarterback rankings and I'd always have the Titans and usually the Rams like dead last and Logan Woodside was exactly why also got Kevin Hogan there who I won't say anything uh, mean about there sorry if the Woodside family's tuning in here at 120 in the morning but Dwayne here's the question Malik Willis you brought it up Hit rate of quarterbacks drafted outside the first round is not good. I think a lot of the allure for Malik Willis was the thought that he was being treated as a first-round quarterback. I mean, side note, NFL, they, they did Malik Willis and Matt Corral bad by letting them go into that green room because both guys yeah. apparently had enough assurance that they were going to be picked in the first round to be there all weekend. Like, we all remember, like, 2005 when Aaron Rodgers was awkwardly sitting there until, like, pick 25. This dude just went 86. Like, it's just... And you can say, oh, he's going to be making X amount of dollars and he's a pro quarterback. You know, hard, worst things have happened to people in life. I get it, but, you know, maybe don't tell the quarterback. The people that say that, like, put yourself in his shoes. You would feel yeah. like shit. Exactly. It, it, it would so. bother you, too. And if you say that it wouldn't, you, I'm sorry, you're a liar. <laughs> you're lying. <laughs> that would bother right. any human being. And so Absolutely. Why, don't take pleasure in it, man. Like, give the guy a break. I felt terrible for him. Like, yeah, he's, he's going to still have a good life. He's going to have a chance to be an NFL quarterback. But I still, like, that sucks, man, seeing somebody sit there and having to go through that. Uh, and look, might he grow for it? Might he be better from it? Yeah, maybe this adversity, maybe he can channel his inner Aaron Rodgers. But, like, some of the stuff that was going on, you know, that people, I'm just like, come on, y'all. Like, give it a, imagine if that was your son yeah, sitting there. Exactly. Like, you would feel bad. Malik Willis, we're not expecting him to start this year. Ryan Tannehill is still... At worst, an average quarterback, I think more times than not, above average quarterback. Bad divisional round against the Bengals, fresh in our memory. Aside, things are looking good, though, potentially being 2023 and beyond. Dwayne Willis, perfectly great streaming potential, similar to Jalen Hurts as a rookie, I think, where if there is a situation where the Titans aren't competitive and the year comes around, they decide to see what Malik Willis has, he'll be in that top 15 discussion from day one just because any quarterback that runs the ball 10-plus times on a weekly basis is in that discussion. Let's talk dynasty, though. Is the change in draft capital between Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis enough for you to take Pickett over Willis, even knowing that if both guys are starting in the same week, we would definitely want Willis at least in the year 2022? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the great point. You, know, you mentioned that earlier when we were in our DMs and the chats. And, and you're right. Like if I think right now, though, we talked about it. You're drafted in the first round or you're not. 
So right now, like I would lean to Kenny Pickett, but if someone wanted to go with Willis because of what you just said, I, I agree. Like if all of a sudden, uh, you know, we looked up in week three and Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis were both starting and we were playing DFS, like the guy everyone would flock to would be Willis, not Kenny Pickett, right? I mean, that's just the way that it goes because of the rushing upside. Having said that, like, look, I just don't want to touch any of these quarterbacks. In Dynasty and yeah. Redraft, I don't want to deal with any of them. You know, I mean, I think there are positives we can talk about in each one of their games. Um, you know, Willis is probably going to really slide. And if you can throw him on a taxi squad, that's fine. If you're in a super flex, you're going to like him, you know, even more. Um, but these were guys that even before the NFL draft happened, I was saying, I'm not taking these guys in the top five, even in a super flex, you know, <laughs> even if they went in the first round. So now that they haven't gone in the first round, I'm definitely not touching them there. Um, but Willis is going to just really need some things to break his way now. Like he's gonna really, he's gonna, he's gonna have to defy odds to end up becoming, you know, a real fantasy asset. It kind of reminds me of remember when everyone liked Deshaun Kaiser and he ended up going in the second round. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, he reminds me of that kind of a of a trajectory. Um, and it's not to say Malik Willis can't ever do it. Like I'm definitely not saying that. It's just gonna have to have to be something. You're just gonna have to be patient with him. So I, I think it's a personal decision. I, I think if you're looking at odds. <laughs> Kenny Pickett has a better chance because he has the draft capital. What does draft capital mean, even if the player is not better than the other player? It means the team invested in you. That means you get more chances to screw up and you get to stay on the field. And you get a longer time to prove yourself. Unless your name is Josh Rosen. That's the one exception One exception <laughs> to the rule. But for the most part, guys like that get more chances. And so that's the challenge Malik Willis is going to have. Um, he's not going to get the same type of opportunities that Kenny Pickett's going to get. I, uh, I recently, I love just surfing around on YouTube at night. Like I don't even watch like TV shows that much by myself. I just go from YouTube video to YouTube video and the old Twitter troll account. I think he got suspended too many times. He might be out, but remember Barry McCockiner, the dude that would always be, you know, putting his pro Avi as Schefter and all that. Anyway, he's got a YouTube page where he actually like produces some productive stuff. And one of it was like, good games by terrible quarterbacks. And he was going through and guys like Drew Locke, like they actually would have like a random three touchdown game here or there and like actually impress. And he got to Josh Rosen and it was like 175 yards, like two touchdown <laughs> game. And he's like, I, he's like, I swear to God, I went through all these games and this is honestly the best we could do. Actually put them in a position to win one. So we, no one can take that one game away from you. Josh Rosen, I guess. Dwayne, our Dallas Cowboys pick number 88. I'm a fan. 57th player on the PFF big board. Nice value. Wide receiver Jalen Tolbert joins a wide receiver depth chart consisting of CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, James Washington, and Noah Brown. Will Tolbert be the number three wide receiver? James Washington's deal only one year, $1.2 million. Did a great job stretching the field. Now it hasn't faced a power five opponent since 2019. Similar problems as Sky Moore. But in terms of what Tolbert was able to do against the level of competition he faced, all good things. And I will say, this Cowboys offense, I think they've been lacking this sort of, you know, player type. I'm not saying Tolbert's going to be this great field stretcher, but we got CeeDee Lamb, we got Gallup. They do need someone on the outside that has the ability to actually put some fear in that defense going deep. Maybe Tolbert can be that guy. I'm thinking that he deserves a little bit more of a boost, like at least over these like Tyquan Thompson types and these like oh, Wandale sure. Robinsons of the world. I'm not saying that Tolbert's going to be, you know, cracking the top five, top six even, but someone that I think, I mean, based on this landing spot, how can you not be a little bit excited about what Tolbert could bring to the table? Yeah, I, I do like it. Um, we also have a chance that Michael Gallup starts slow, right? I mean, you've got a late season ACL tear. Um, so, and, and he, the surgery was done late. 
Um, so I, I just think there's a there there are a lot of paths here. One, you've got the offense that has run the most plays per game over the last two seasons in regulation play, excluding overtime because we can't predict overtime. Like a lot of that comes down to luck. So you look at the Cowboys; they run a lot of plays. They're not super pass heavy, but they're they're pass balanced, right? So and they're they're willing to run a lot of eleven personnel. So I think there's just a lot of ways um, really for Tolbert to get on the field, and I, I would say he's the favorite in my opinion to be on the field yeah. over James Washington. Um, especially if they want to kick him inside in the slot, but that's not all he does. He played outside. CD, well, CD slot, baby. Let's go. Yeah, and CD can kick inside. I think this is a team that you'll honestly see all the guys rotate around in the slot. I think you'll see a similar thing in the Steelers. You know, you get certain offenses, offenses where nobody plays over 40% in the slot. Like everybody just kind of moves around. I think you can do the same thing with the Cowboys. It also is good for Dak, right? Dak gets another weapon. It also is a little bit of insulation. If Michael Gallup starts slow or if you get an injury to C.D. Lamb, now with James Washington and Tolbert in the mix, I think you can feel good that Dak's still going to at least be able to put up some points, you know, with the guys that he gets to put out there. But, yeah, looking at Tolbert, man, I love it. Like the only thing, he's a little older. But unlike guys like Christian Watson, um, who, who we like, we were fine with, his breakout age was still 20.5, you know, as, as a sophomore. So he'll be 23 and a half this year when the season starts. He was 22 and a half as a senior this past season. Um, but career yards per route run, solid, but the explosive play rate is right there. It's good. So, I mean, he's not dark. He's not like dark blues across the board, lighting up the entire uh, red and uh, blue Christmas tree, Ian. Um, but it's, it's, it's solid. It's really good. So I do like Tolbert, and I think that there's, you know, a lot of opportunity for him to be on the field enough to give you spike weeks but have contingent value to even be worth more potentially if someone else on the team. It's the type of offense we love, we love to invest in. One of my top five favorite picks of the draft, not in terms of like who's going to be ranked the highest again. He's not even going to be a top five rookie wide receiver moving forward, but just in terms of like, look at Jalen Turbert as someone, Tolbert, that could have gone round four, could have been a day three guy, but no, he gets the, you know, day two capital. He goes to a team with an open spot and three wide receiver sets that also just so happens to have a pretty damn good quarterback and loves throwing the football around. So it might not be in 2022, but Damn, Dwayne, you know, he's at least going to be someone that hopefully has a sort of raw participation that, you know, uh, DFS tournaments and, you know, showdown slates and stuff like that. Wouldn't yeah. be shocked if he puts together a big performance or two. Pick number 91, Tampa Bay Buccaneers took running back Rashad White out of Arizona State. Depth chart now includes Leonard Fournette, Giovanni Bernard, and Keyshawn Vaughn. What type of impact does this have on Leonard Fournette, Dwayne? Because the Buccaneers handed him three-year, $21 million contract. He's at least going to be a starting running back in 2022, probably 2023. We've talked before about Fournette really taking over that pass-down job from Giovanni Bernard even before Gio got injured last year. Is White really going to be making that much noise right now? To me, he seems like the preferred handcuff of the group, but even that's not guaranteed, man. We've seen them use third-round capital on Keyshawn Vaughn before and basically ignore the dude for two years. I agree that White's a better prospect than Vaughn. I mean, hell, this dude was a PFS uh, sixth-highest-grade rusher and you know fifth-highest, or I think just the highest-grade receiving running back uh, last year. So the guy can do it all, but they already have Fournette who can do it all. So overall expectations on White, and does it change? your overall thought of Leonard Fournette as a top 10 fantasy back? It gives me just, what gives me a slight pause for Fournette is every back pretty much that they brought in in the pre-draft process was a receiving back. They also brought in James Cook. I want to say they visited with Tyler Beatty. So a lot of these guys had that receiving profile and they also brought back Geo. So I feel like they're still toying around with the idea in that they want to get 
they want to get Lenny some rest. They don't want him out there all the time. But I don't think it necessarily means that, oh, my God, he's just going to lose all the passing downs, right? I, I don't know that it's going to be that clear cut. So I still feel good about Fournette. I will say that, like, if Fournette continues to creep up boards, like we were all over it when he was in the fourth round, he's now in the third round. If he snuck up to, like, the mid-second, I would probably be, you know, that would give me more pause on Fournette because I do think there's enough question now, and he is an older back. Now, he's, he's below the threshold of the touches that we worry about. I would still get some exposure to Fournette there, but the opportunity costs, right? Now you're looking at, you know, you could take Stefan Diggs sometimes and make it sit there. You know, you got Debo Samuel, you know, slipping down board. Well, Debo actually, you know, will slip to the end of the second round sometimes now. But yeah. I think there are just the opportunity costs – changes the dynamic where you're probably going to want maybe some even exposure or slightly less than the field to Fournette if he, if he sneaks that high. If he stays in like the mid-third, I'm still fine with Fournette. I'm not going to let this this worry me. But as far as Rashad White goes, he is definitely the preferred handcuff. You know, yeah. 134 uh, yards per game, you know, is, is one of the best in the class. Now, it's the best in the class, but look, Brees Hall is better. Brees Hall was doing this from the time he was a freshman. When you look at Rashad, Rashad, Rashad White, you know, 23.7 years old, he was a JUCO transfer, really his first year at Arizona State, you can't blame him, he didn't play a lot, it was because COVID, you know, they didn't play that many games. And so really, we only have one year, and so that 134 is a really good number, but you have to understand it's on a very small sample size. Um, but yeah, a great receiver out of the backfield. So I feel like if I had to pick a, a guy on that team, that if, if Fournette went down, he could do it all, I think it is going to be, you know, Rashad White. And if, if, if one of them is to carve out enough of a role that we're like, oh man, this guy might be able to fill in, give me flex value, you know, a week or two, it's probably going to be, you know, Rashad White. So I think he's a guy that he's going to become very popular in drafts. You're going to see him going between like rounds eight and 11. Um, the dynasty community is pretty big on Rashad White. Dynasty, this is fantastic news. I think he definitely deserves to be in anyone's top five running backs at this point because look at that competition. It's Leonard Fournette on his second contract and Giovanni Bernard who could retire after the season and no one would think twice. And then Keyshawn Vaughn who has had every opportunity to maybe seize a role in this backfield hasn't done it just yet. So Rashad White, maybe as soon as 2023, big things could be on the way. San Francisco 49ers with the pick number 93 took running back Tyrion Davis Price. Shout out to Eric Froton from Roto World. He came on this podcast. I asked him who this year's Elijah Mitchell could be. He gave me Tyrion Davis Price. And he was like kind of 49ers. And he goes to the 49ers. And like he was wrong from the standpoint, like he was trying to give me someone that he didn't think was going to be drafted. And Tyrion Davis Price was on no one's like consensus top 10, top 15. Uh, but yeah, ends up being a third round pick and goes to the very same team. So shout out Eric. The dude is a master of his craft and it's a great day to be great. Yeah. You know, he's just chilling in San Diego. Lucky son of a bitch. But anyway, looking at this depth chart now, Tyrion Davis Price, Elijah Mitchell, Jeff Wilson, Jermichael Hasty, Trey Sermon, the calling card for TD. PFF's number one graded pass blocker at LSU. How do we feel about Elijah Mitchell's stranglehold, Dwayne? We got to wonder if Debo is going to be there involved as well. This doesn't give me a ton of pause. I'm kind of thinking he could be almost an upgrade for like Wilson Hasty, not necessarily taking too much early down work for Elijah Mitchell. But then again, who the hell knows? We got to do this every damn year with Kyle Shanahan. Why does he keep doing this to us, Dwayne? Yeah, um, I don't know. But it, it's enough to bother you. But he does. He, he likes to pile up the running backs. Um, my biggest concern, you know, with Price is he doesn't do any of the things that we've historically seen Kyle Shanahan want from his backs. Like, he's not explosive. Clear His career explosive rush rate is only 12%. 
His career avoided tackles uh, per attempt, 17%. I mean, so he's just, you know, and we're talking about Kenneth Walker being at 33%. You know, um, he never really had a huge season as far as total of the team, you know, yards. 33% is not bad, but it wasn't like a huge season. So career yards per game, 55. Now he played in a really good program where you got a lot of other good backs. So we usually give guys a little bit of a break whenever they're facing that kind of situation. Um, so with Davis Price, like, I don't know, like, like I like him in dynasty. Look, if you're in dynasty and once you get to rounds three and four and five in your rookie drafts, like you just have to pile these kind of guys up, right? Because, you know, eventually their days, their day could come because of injuries and things like that. And you're going to be able to plug them into your RB two. And so that's really the way I look at Tyrion Davis Price. I don't, I don't have like a real strong opinion about him taking over any certain role in the 49ers backfield. Um, this year, look, we all know how good the 49ers backfield can be. And that's what makes this, this, this situation like so maddening is because we know how good it can be. We want to be right about it and we want to have an opinion, but at the end of the day, dude, I don't know how to speak Kyle Shanahan. I don't know. (laughs) I've, I've, I've given up the way I look at it is I'm going to try to get exposure to all these guys, you know, where I can And, and Davis price, you know, he'll be going later. Um, obviously, you know, you'll still Elijah Mitchell. What do you think this does to Elijah Mitchell's? you know, value overall. Like, I, I don't think it moves it all that much, honestly. I think he'll, he's not going to move up. I, I think he stays as like a low end RB two. I like that. If this keeps yeah. Elijah Mitchell where he's at and he doesn't move up, I feel pretty good about it. But are you, even each time you take Elijah Mitchell, like, cause you got to take him in the fifth round right now. Like, how do you feel about it? Is this enough to kind of make you feel a little bit? More it's not like, great. <laughs> I did not, I did not see this coming. Yeah. I mean, I, I will yeah, say this, great, like, great. I was, I plan on having a piece out on pff.com the next day or two about like the biggest veteran winners from the draft. Mitchell's not going to be on there. And if they had gone literally, you know, another 10 picks and not taken a running back, he would have been on there because it was a situation where Jimmy G is still a member of the 49ers. Like maybe it's not even Trey Lance. Maybe Debo Samuel does get traded. And then all of a sudden, all, you know, cards are turning up Elijah Mitchell, but you know, you don't use a top 100 pick on a guy without having some sort of role in mind. Now, we did see that happen to Trey Sermon last year, and apparently there really wasn't a role in mind. But, you know, Dwayne, I just made a note to myself about an article for later this offseason to try to actually go back and check and see if this common, you know, phrase we use is right. But what do we always say in New England? In a backfield, we don't know what's going on. Take the cheapest one available. Last year, that was Elijah Mitchell, and it worked out pretty well. Maybe this year, Tyrion Davis-Price. I don't know. Uh, luckily slash not luckily, we have a hell of a lot more months and time to uh, beat our freaking brains against the wall about this 49ers backfield. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Like, what the? <laughs> Definitely f- worth a late round flyer. I mean, we've seen what can happen. We have five more, everyone. Thank you for sticking in with us. 94th pick, Carolina Panthers quarterback, Matt Corral. Dwayne, it's the same thing with Ritter, man. It'd be so much easier to write off these third-round... Like, with Malik Willis, we know he's not going to do anything in 2022 because the Titans brought him in to be Tannehill's backup for this year. But with Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter, they are the rare third-round quarterback that could feasibly start by week one. Only Sam Darnold and P.J. Walker in, on this depth chart right now. But also, like Desmond Ritter, I look at Matt Corral, and even if we knew he was going to be the week one starting quarterback, which doesn't seem likely to be, you know, something that 
we know until August, maybe even early September. I just don't know how much he's giving us in fantasy land. He's going to be right there with the Carson Wentz's, the Matt Ryan's of the world. And when we're looking at a Panthers offense, like, yeah, I like McCaffrey. I like DJ Moore. But as we saw last year with Sam freaking Darnold himself, just because you're in a decent offensive environment doesn't mean that's necessarily going to guide you to fantasy success. So I don't, you know, the play calling, you know, now we got to deal with that. I don't think that's going to be better. The offensive line still has a lot of holes. Matt Corral, man, I think the answer is probably no. The biggest win for Matt Corral is trying to prove the Panthers he is the answer of the future, and they actually stay away from this 2023 quarterback class. So I guess we'll know sooner rather than later. Nothing to see here as far as redraft. Um, I think you can make a case in Dynasty. You know, you put Corral um, where you want to place him. You know, we've already talked about Pickett, you know, and Willis. But he does have, you know, he's got a capability to, to maneuver in the pocket. He's got a capability to add on the ground. So there are things that we like, but it's the third round capital. So I think the biggest plus is that Sam Darnold is terrible. Um, and so <laughs> there's, a, there's a chance Matt Corral ends up on the field like sooner rather than later. Um, so from a dynasty perspective, you know, if you want to, if you want to spend a pick later in your draft, I mean, fine. You want to put him on a taxi squad, go ahead. But again, not another player I'm that excited about. Just third round. Like, there's just other ways. I would, I'm, I'm going to be spending my draft capital other ways. But you know your roster construction better than Ian and I do. And so I could definitely see cases where you may want to take a, a shot on a guy like Corral. This one pissed me off. Pick number 98, Washington Commanders. Alabama running back, Brian Robinson adding to a depth chart already consisting of Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jarrett Patterson. Brian Robinson, dynasty, okay. Antonio Gibson only guaranteed to be their probable starting running back for two more years. But even then, man, like once you start looking three, four years down the line in dynasty, maybe you're already doing a little too much thinking to begin with. So Robinson, one of these guys, I don't think he himself is going to have a fancy viable role. Like I, I, was, I tweeted something out and people were saying, like, I'm going to have a bunch of shares to Robinson this year. I don't know, man, because even once, even if Gibson gets hurt, I should say, now all of a sudden Robinson seemingly will beat out undrafted free agent Jarrett Patterson. I don't think he has a big stranglehold or anything in that backfield. But even then, we still have J.D. McKissick giving the same damn problem. I don't want to take a handcuff with any level of fantasy draft capital that needs two injuries before him to actually crack You know, the top 15, top 20 fantasy running backs. The big problem, Dwayne, is what this does to Antonio Gibson. We can't look past those six fumbles from last year. We talked about how annoying J.D. McKissick was. We talked about Antonio Gibson having the shin injury, playing through the pain. We probably didn't talk enough about Antonio Gibson not being a good running back last year. And, you know, again, PFF mathematician Eric Eager showed a lot of good data. He was basically analyzing how running backs perform when everything went perfect. Five out of five offensive linemen did their job. Perfectly executed run play. Number one in the league was Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, people that watch him play probably could have come to that. Antonio Gibson was one of the worst running backs in the league based on that metric. So I don't think they use a top 100 pick on Robinson to make him a special teamer or to take Jarrett Patterson's complete backup role, backup role, uh, Dwayne. Gibson is someone that I think we kind of keep pushing down and try not to draft. I'm not touching him. Antonio Gibson season is over. It never got to start, unfortunately, (sighs) but it's over. Um, I need whiskey for this conversation. uh, Look, I mean, it's the kind of profile we look for, uh, receiving profile, explosive player. Um, But, you know, he has struggled a bit, like, to really make a transition to being a back. Now, again, like, he was a receiver, just really a receiver two years ago, which is crazy. So, I mean, like, how far he's already come, I think, is pretty amazing. 
Um, but Brian Robinson, Brian Robinson is a really good inside zone runner. Um, Washington runs outside and inside zone. Um, but man, missed tackles forced, forced on inside zone, 33%, most in the class. Yards after contact, 3.7. That's the fifth best in the class. And an explosion rate of 15% on inside zone, which inside zone is hard to be explosive on. Like you don't see as many explosive plays. And, and you know, Robinson is not as good at outside zone, not as good on, on power and traps and things like that, which you would think he'd be better on. Uh, but he was really good on inside zone, and Washington uses plenty of that. So I like Brian Robinson. I think it is going to be a committee. I think everything else, though, that you said, like, is spot on. It's like, you know, how many injuries does Brian Robinson need to be relevant, you know, in 2022? He needs two. He needs Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick to be out of the way, and you're still dealing with an offense that we're not that crazy about. So it's kind of a tight needle to be trying to thread. I think it's still fine. You can take swings on Robinson. If you're in Dynasty, I definitely am taking some swings on Robinson because now over the yep. next two to three seasons, you you definitely could get to a situation where, oh, all of a sudden he is the only guy, you know, sitting there. I think your odds increase because you're stretching it out over a longer period of time. So I think the landing spot from a schematic standpoint is good. Um, you know, who knows if Ron Rivera and Scott Turner can make it another year past this one if they suck again, though. Ron Rivera just keeps taking uh, his guys with Gibson. Good. Look, we weren't overly high on him to begin with. I mean, everyone's just kind of like, oh, you know, you see these fantasy tweets that really go viral. It's just like Antonio Gibson's like going to be the RB1 in 2023. There's no further like explanation given and people are just kind of getting behind it. Why wouldn't he be? Well, J.D. McKissick was always a reason why he wasn't going to be. With that said, Dwayne still had him as an RB20 before all this happened. He's going to be outside the top 24. I mean, at this point, guys like Josh Jacobs, even maybe your most hated, not personally, but Miles Sanders, man. Like, that's what we're talking about with yep. Antonio Gibson. That's what now. we're talking like about. Like, Miles Sanders. And, that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know that the public's going to react quick enough. I think there's a chance that, yeah. that Gibson continues to be overrated. I, I think his ADP is definitely going to take a dip. My guess is it's not going to drop enough. He's going to he's going to fall into that dead zone, um, and and folks are going to still keep taking him. And and we're fine with the age and the profile overall, but you know three is a crowd, man. Three is a freaking crowd in the backfield, especially on a, on a subpar offense. Cleveland Browns wide receiver David Bell out of Purdue, someone that we've talked about on this podcast as checking a lot of the box, Dwayne. You know, when I pull up your, you know, handy dandy uh, utilization report stuff that we have on our draft tracker, we're going to see a lot of blue goodness there. At the same time, athletic profile, just not good. And when we look at the landing spot, not the greatest thing ever. Could emerge as the wide receiver too here. I mean, only Amari Cooper is ingrained as a starter definitively right now but we do have donovan peoples jones he's been there doing things i think he's actually been pretty solid anthony schwartz same third round draft capital even jakeem grant actually got a low-key pretty solid contract uh, in free agency i think that's more so for being a return specialist but it's another piece of the puzzle is the wide receiver two in cleveland even worth our time though because last year my god they couldn't even produce one fantasy relevant wide receiver and i know that bringing in deshaun watson is a good thing but once again Dwayne, we have no idea what the suspension is going to look like i don't want to compare sports or anything and i don't want to compare crimes but like i don't think anyone had any idea that trevor bauer was looking at two years for what he just did as well so it really wouldn't shock me if the nfl gives watson like an entire season at a minimum six to eight games seems to be on the table so knowing that we're not getting Watson, man. Because, like, David Bell, if you look at the wide receivers we've talked about, the rookies, like, in terms of just pass game options, he has as good of a chance to be a number two guy as a lot of these dudes that have higher draft capital 
with the situation, though, being a run-first offense and likely not having a large Chuck and Watson, probably will be selling more times than not for Bell and redraft. And even Dynasty, I have you know a little bit of a trouble getting too high on the guy. Yeah, I mean, his 30% dominator breakout age of 19.7 is the best in class. So, like, his production profile is great. Um, and it's what keeps him, you know, it was hard to honestly, like, even as his draft capital continued falling, 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 and I would put in the new expected draft capital, like he, it was hard to push him out of tier two. It took like two months to push him out of tier two because like his profile really was so strong. And at the end of the day, 40 times were overrated. He ran a 4.65. It's not like we love it. It's not great. But the thing that cemented it for me that, that, you know, is why I had to kind of force him down a little bit anyway, is just the 19% career explosive play rate. That's the 48th percentile. Um, it's 2% below um, the NFL, or sorry, 3% below the NCAA average. And so once you have the 40 time, and then it's also validated by, okay, he also is not making these explosive plays on the field. I think that was going to be limiting. And then it showed up in his draft capital because now we get a late third round pick, which is really not good for wide receivers. Um, I do think, you know, early on, I mean, he was a second round valuation. Like after the combine, he legit fell, you know, a full, you know, a round and a half from where he was originally projecting. Had he gotten that second round capital, we would feel a little bit better about him. Um, I'm with you. I think the I think the depth chart is certainly overcomable. Donovan Peoples-Jones has not really done anything. But then I also think, well, Peoples-Jones can be more of a field stretcher. Bell can't, right? And so you got Amari Cooper on the other side. He's really more of a, a route runner, going to work that intermediate underneath stuff. So like when I just think about their offense overall, it still make more. It still make may make more sense to have Amari and Donovan Peoples-Jones out there in two wide receiver sets. You also have Anthony Schwartz who could battle him for slot reps, or um, you know Schwartz could be the field stretcher, right? If they did that, then maybe you could get him on the field. But I, I agree. I think he has a chance to go after that number two role. Uh, but then it's like, who's going to stretch the field? For the Browns, like Schwartz went higher than him yeah, last no, year. Did. I mean, there's a chance Bell is in three wide receiver yeah, sets. Yeah, no, I'm. I agree. I think he could be number two. I think he could be number four. I think he could land anywhere in there. Look, yeah. I think I think Bell is a way better player than Anthony Anthony Schwartz. Like their their pro of their course. profiles yeah. aren't anywhere close. Anthony Schwartz was fast. That was it. Like there was nothing else about him. He just got overdrafted because the NFL can be stupid. Um, you know, Donovan Peoples Jones, you know, actually Donovan Peoples Jones like profiles better than Anthony Schwartz. But I think really that's who he's got to overcome. But the big thing is what you're mentioning. Um, they like to run the ball. We don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback. Um, and then like they don't run 11 personnel hardly at all. They are one of the heaviest 12 personnel set teams. So if you can't lock down the number two role, which I don't even know how tactically that's going to make a ton of sense for them right now. Um, because they need someone out there to stretch the field unless you're just going to run in Joku on seams like every play. Um, I, I I feel like it's just there are a lot of different things that have to go right for Bell. So in Dynasty, I still like I, – I say he's a high-end wide receiver too in Dynasty. Um, you know, So if you want to take him at the beginning of the second round, the middle of the second round, I think that's fine. You can do that. But remember, these late third-round picks, even with strong production profiles, like they don't hit a lot because the NFL just doesn't always give these guys a chance – to come around like the best role for him would have been if the Browns didn't already have Amari Cooper right let this guy really be yep. more of your underneath intermediate guy he can win the contested case not as good of a route runner as Amari but he's a rugged player like if the best comp I would think of him and again like I'm not trying to go overboard here but it was like Anquan Bolden you know an Anquan Bolden-esque type player um, not necessarily at the greatest route runner but like even when he's not open he's open 
And so even though he didn't run really fast, like he's already shown he can produce in college. He, he might be able to still do it at the NFL. I think the big challenge for him is tactically, how do the coaches make sense of getting him on the field? Because they need someone to stretch out the field for everyone else. And if he's out there, I don't know if they can do that. Najoku, a low-key winner. We still got to worry about Harrison Bryant, but hey, at least unlike Mo Alley-Cox, we didn't have you know a day one or two tight end come join the party and make that back into what it was last year, which was a three tight end committee. Pick 101, the New York Jets took from the Ohio State University tight end Jeremy Ruckert. As you can see here, my key question is, what the fuck is your problem, <laughs> Jets? You've spent big money on CJ Uzoma. You spent big money on Tyler Conklin. We still got Kenny Yaboa there as well. Ruckert flashed legit receiving ability at Ohio State, Dwayne. Like he was being mocked consensusly as a number two tight end off the board. I think there were situations where he could have gone and actually been someone to not get behind this year, but in the future as a blocker and also a plus receiver at the position. No, not when we have Uzoma and Conklin ahead on the depth chart. I'm not even going to throw it back to you. We don't need to give a shit about Jeremy Rucker this year and probably not for the next four. It's unfortunate, but you know what? He's going to be a run blocker for the Jets. Hopefully it makes their team better. And finally, pick 105. San Francisco 49ers took wide receiver Danny Gray, joins a depth chart consisting of Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Juwan Jennings, Ray Ray McLeod, Marcus Johnson, and Keyshawn Johnson. Look, we, we know the number three wide receiver in San Fran isn't going to give us much because they're going to be behind Debo, Ayuk, George Kittle, and they're not even going to be out in the field for oftentimes even 50% of the snaps because of how much they use Kyle Juszczyk and thus, you know, those two uh, running back backfields. So is there any reason to believe, Dwayne, like, because for the Danny Gray pick, it was, to me, it was similar to the George Pickens pick where I wasn't immediately like, oh my God, what are Gray and Pickens going to do? But it was like, is this more of an indictment on Ayuk or perhaps Debo about what could happen? Because Danny Gray ended up himself. I, I'm not sure what his role is going to be for 2022. Yeah, this is a head scratcher for me. Um, you know, it's not even a player that profiles that well. Um, like, this is one of those where it's yeah. almost like, like, are they letting Shanahan hold the keys too much? Like, whenever they're making draft picks. Um, you know, maybe they're worried about losing Debo and they felt that they needed to get someone. And maybe Danny Gray was like the next guy, you know, in their tier. But I think there were plenty of guys that were just as good as Danny Gray. They didn't have to use this pick on probably could have got tomorrow um so just not a player i'm very excited about um you know and, and right now if devo samuel stays i mean look like what's the path what's the path for this guy even if, you know how many injuries does he need to be relevant in a run heavy offense where we have questions about the quarterback i mean you got debo you got brandon i think juan jennings is yeah. fine he might yeah you got juan you got uh kittle like danny gray doesn't matter sorry danny and sorry to the Gray family if they're tuning in. But everyone, that's going to wrap it up. I, Dwayne, I don't know how we got through last night in under an hour. I think that set like maybe unfair expectations in our, in our minds about what we could accomplish here. But tonight. yeah, that's Hey, look at it. We, we, we <laughs> how did, did I not, did, didn't, how did I not we put that together? Double. We didn't double our time, so we're, we're fine. <laughs> Look at that. I want to thank everyone for tuning in with us on the YouTube crowd. Very excited to be going live a little bit more often uh, at now that I've, you know, only took me like two years of being at PFF to figure out how to hit an extra button or two. But looking forward to uh, getting a little more interactive and, uh, you know, showing you guys what's up. It's not like, Dwayne, it's not like we're doing multiple takes on shit anyway, so we might as well just throw it out there, you know. Uh, <laughs> anything that you haven't said over the last hour, 52 minutes, you want to get off your chest, Dwayne? Like people are tired of hearing us. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll be coming back with more probably a zoom out view of this stuff. Like, you know, here in the next couple of days. But uh, just glad for everybody that hung around with us, and uh, you guys enjoy day three of the draft.
We will not be back Saturday evening breaking down rounds four through seven. As I said before, the overwhelming majority of those guys are not going to matter. But the ones that do matter, we will tell you about them on Monday or Tuesday when we are back here. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.